Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Rivera. Marler, bowl season is over. Kind of, sort of, not really. Eh. Don't try to rush it. Sorry. All right. I won't rush it. I won't rush it. There are still bowl games left. But I do not like the fact that all the bowl games that we have left are like yeah. the cheese it bowl that you found under your couch cushion. Yeah, don't have any immediate urgency to watch Louisiana, but it's football. It is football that is still on. Shout out Ohio Bobcats, still rolling strong. Um, We have a lot to get to today because we're essentially going to recap every non-LSU bowl game. And oh, by the way, sick brag, we had a little interview with our friend Tim Tebow. You might have heard of him. Made him laugh. We made him laugh more than he, you made him laugh more than ever, I think. It was Um, great. I was very surprised. And he didn't correct me on Deuteronomy this time. He did. He did. I always wonder with uh, a little peel behind the onion here. I always wonder with Tebow, guys like that who do a billion interviews. And Tebow, I mean, let's let's call it what it is. He's gotten to the point in his career and in his life where he is so famous that he essentially can monetize interviews. If you notice when he comes on, it's always some sort of an all-state plug or something like that. No big yeah. deal. We still like being able to talk to Tebow. No, and it's not like we're paying for it necessarily. It's Allstate, who is, you know, he's you didn't pay? You know, doing work for him. Eh, I missed the payment on that one. No, oh, that's, that's not how tough. that works. Um, but you always wonder kind of what they remember. And he actually seemed to remember a few things that we said, which, yeah. you know, good good for good for old us. Look at a little he was, old uh, us. He was so nice last year. I, I got to admit, I was a little bit disappointed at first because last year he came on and I was like nervous because it was like one of our first big interviews. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I think we're just like, before we even were recording, He's like, hey, it's Connor O'Gara. I got Chris Wallace. He's like, hey, Chris, hey, Connor. I was like, wow, what a nice dude. <laughs> and then this time I was like, hey, Tim. And he's like, hey, Connor. I was like, <laughs> Thumbs up. All right, that moment though, that moment though, I'll be honest. When Tim, when Tim Tebow says your first name and he says it right off the top like that, yeah, you know, there, there's a little bit of like, oh, all right, this is this is a, a pretty cool feeling because. There's just something about when people say your first name that just kind of you're like, oh, wow, this feels very personal. Chiswick does that a lot. That's a yeah. good Chiswick trick that he does is he always will say your first name at the beginning of a sentence if he's going to get really deep with something. Good little life hack for everybody. I, I hear him say it in the same way that I hear people say Barcelona. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, that, just, that is beautiful and cultured. Thank you, Tim. So we're going to recap all the bowl games today. Um, We're going to kind of run through some of the key points. And then I realize that some of these happened a few days ago. So we're going to kind of talk big picture with some of these as well. Spin it forward. Hop on the old hype train, if you wish. Oh, God. That that (laughs) Um, did not leave the station very early. There were some hype trains that definitely left the station. One of the hype trains that left the station was a little train in New Orleans with a certain freshman receiver named George Pickens. And my goodness, did he have himself a day. Huge, huge bounce back performance um, in, in the Sugar Bowl. And no, I'm not just talking about Georgia. I'm talking about Ugga because Ugga showed oh, up God. at the scene of the crime, at the place where Bevo charged at him like that dumb steer he Ugh. is. And all Ugga did was just sit there like a champ and celebrate victory. So good for you, Ugga. Good for you, George Pickens. Huge, huge days against Baylor. Dude, how, how, like, I'm so glad we started with this game specifically. Like, for real, like, how much fun was, th- was it watching this Georgia team? 
This was great. If we hadn't been able to watch this Georgia team all year, where they're actually throwing the ball downfield, and I mean they were flying all over the place on defense too, oh despite the gosh. fact that they were they were without a lot of key guys. In this I, so game. I thought it was thirteen. I thought it was. I saw the number was thirteen, and then I, I tweeted that out, and somebody because I did the the gif or the video from like LeBron's, like not two, oh, not yeah. three, like, and then somebody immediately corrected me and said it was sixteen. Uh, it was a lot, whatever it was. It was a whole crap load of guys that weren't playing because as we found out, oh, by the way, uh, Tyler Clark's not playing, DeAndre Swift's not playing. We found out you know, a few days before that J.R. Reed wasn't going to be playing as well, and you're looking around and you're kind of just like, oh, uh, Jake Fromm is playing. Yeah, and what five-star are they going to put in there? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they did replace their three freshman offensive line. Uh, three, or not three. There are three starters on the offensive line who were out in this game. They just replaced them with with five-star guys, so kind of the the Georgia way. But just a a different effort than what we saw last year. And we kind of – we hinted at the fact that I didn't think history was going to repeat itself. I had – in our confidence pool, I had this as like my 38 or 39 out of 41 possible confidence points. I felt very good about Georgia, no matter how many guys they were going to lose, still being able to put up a really good effort in this one. And and sure enough, that's what happens when you have – Guys on defense in the front seven who are young, and they they were flying all over God, the ball. They were Nolan so Smith, physical, too. Man, I mean, like Nolan Smith and Malik Herring and Aziz Ojulari. I, I'm definitely pronouncing his name, his last name wrong. Draymond Walker. I mean, these guys who you're going to see probably for the next couple of years just oh, dominate yeah. defenses. They were really, really good. I So... Like and I'm not just saying this to placate our Georgia fans. I, I had I had such an enjoyable time watching this game because it was like, not only was it kind of like this almost like a release of frustration of like this is kind of what it looks like. Like Pickens had 17 targets, Connor. Seven, that's like, what it should be. That's they, what it should be. That, Georgia, well, that Georgia's been so bad at that, and that's the thing that we credited LSU the other day for saying, you know what, Jamar Chase is getting bracket coverage, and they're just going to target Justin Jefferson all day. Justin Jefferson had 18 targets in that game. When a defense is giving you something and you you can't stop it, just keep going at it. George Pickens was good enough to where Jake Fromm could just say, you know what, keep going at him. And there were a couple opportunities where he probably should have gone back there. There was a key instance in the third quarter on third down where it looked like he had him open in the end zone and he didn't go to him. He probably could have hit him even more. I, so, yeah, honestly, that probably is true. I, I just had so much fun watching this because it was like all the stuff that we had talked about, like all the all the the expectations, I felt like they kind of like lived up to. And not just not just with, with George Pickens. And I think, you know, we'll talk about the Kirby, his postgame comments afterwards or attitude or whatever you want to say. It was very interesting. interesting. But, like, what I did really enjoy seeing out of this was, I mean, you like I don't care if it's 13 players that are just on the team for GPA. That is a lot of people that are on the team that are just not going to be involved in this game. And to watch Zamir White, I, like, you could see him get more and more comfortable and get, like, into, like, like a rhythm and, like, oh, yeah, I, I can still do this. I can do this. Like, just keep feeding me. Keep feeding me. And then same with Pickens, man. Pickens was, was just – there was a play he made. I think it was only, like, I think it was, like, an 11-yard gain. But he caught, like, a three-yard dig route and then just, like, juked three or four guys and then dragged somebody over the first down marker. And, and I, it finally hit me because it was 19 nothing. And I was like, please, God, Georgia, don't. Just don't. Don't do anything bad here. And that defense was so suffocating. You could tell they finally kind of took on that personality that Kirby's trying to get him to get him to like yep. take on. Like the, before the SEC championship game last year, he was like, I want to eat. That'll think. And I tell you what, you know who helped out with that? 
Talk Matt Luke. Talk Matt, Matt Luke. Luke. Matt Luke. Just out there. I tell you what, man. We had a, we had a blast out there in New Orleans, man. We were we had a po boys. Uh, I, I mean, as, as most of you know, I I, I, am, I am not a po boy by any means because I've got. One, uh, a lot of money being paid my way uh, from, from Ole Miss. And, it, I mean, we had a blast. We had a blast. He was on a different level. My goodness. I love the it. video that I tweeted out where he's on the so sideline just going nuts. That was That is the Matt Luke that we need. If we get that Matt Luke at Georgia, man, I, I don't want to say that they're necessarily going to be a better offensive line than what they had with Sam Pittman because he was exceptional at his job. Yeah. But having a guy with that type of energy who is out to prove himself, obviously, and and would like to be able to kind of get back to the offensive coordinator ranks or whatever it is, man, Matt Luke was fired up. That was yeah. uh, that was fun to watch. That was very fun to watch. I, I, I enjoyed the whole thing, man. It really was. It was, it was good from uh, – the ending was what was the worst part. Like, yeah, like, it was kind of an awkward ending, too, with the Charlie Brewer injury where he goes down. It wasn't a malicious hit. And no. And they flagged it. They flagged it because they felt like they had to. It's a quarterback on the sideline. It's on their sideline, too. Yeah, like, I get it. His head smacked the ground, and you hate to see somebody like that who dealt with a head injury as well in the in the Big 12 championship game. And everybody immediately is tweeting like, man, Charlie Brewer just kind of needs to stay away from football for a while. That did yeah. not look good. You could tell he was really dazed and kind of out of it. We're not by any means doctors but it just did not look like a good situation there but it was it was a little bit of an awkward ending after such a great start for for georgia and it was you know a game in which the stadium was half full and we knew that was going to be an issue trying to fill that place with you know what both of these teams lost in conference championships and that doesn't necessarily take away from the accomplishment in itself but it did sort of make it feel at the end like oh you know this they, they probably would have liked to have cleaned it up and then kirby's comments after were just What's the right I, you word? Know, uh, dumb and misguided. I like I, I so or just maybe I don't maybe not dumb, but like misguided or miscommunicated because it was Peculiar. like a very. That's a good word for it too. I, I like so I, I definitely don't think it takes anything away from it. I said going into this game, this is like one of those things where like I felt like Georgia had to win because yeah. you can't like the narrative's already there. You they they lost four straight postseason games. Like, like everyone already has that that whole perception of Georgia of, like, well, they can't win the big one. They always blow it. Or they, you know, like, they're choke artists, whatever. Gosh, I didn't even realize that. That's a yeah, good I didn't point. either. That's um, a good point. But, like, this defense, like, one of the most impressive stats I've heard all season, they shut them out in the first first half. And I've, I've, I've tweeted something about it. Like, like Herb Street, uh, what's his name? Um, Pollock. And I think, I think one more person on game day all picked Baylor. And didn't really, really? say it. it. Yeah, and like didn't say it like in much of like an upset. Like like Kirk Herbstreit flat out said he thinks Baylor is the better team. And mm. so yeah, we obviously found out it was not. But the, in the first half, this is the this is the second best team from the SEC and the second best team from the Big Twelve, right? And the second best team from the Big Twelve, Baylor, hadn't been to the Sugar Bowl since 1957. They have a lot to play for. It'd be it'd be the most ones they ever had in a single season with 11, uh, or maybe it was 12. Georgia, on the other hand. Like you have nothing but disappointment, like and a bad taste in your mouth from last year, and and on top of that, like yeah, you could say like yeah, we got to circle the wagons, but you're missing all those guys, like so for them to come out there and and shut them out, it was the twelfth shutout in a half of football this season for Georgia. Think about that. Forty three percent of their halves they played, they shut the other the opponent out. It's the best defense Kirby Smart has had there at Georgia so far. His comments afterwards, talking about this disease of Georgia players thinking that they're better than they are. Just kind of a weird move for a winning coach, I'll say that. I mean, I, I'm sure that there was a lot of this 
get the monkey off the back, don't have a repeat of last year type stuff. And I, yeah. I, I understand that coaches in the heat of the moment just kind of they just kind of spew and they just kind of you know after when the, the adrenaline's pumping like that, still a little bit of an of an odd decision to to make at that time. I don't know. There's, I don't get too I, there's a lot of diseases in, in Athens, but most of them go away with cream. So it's I've never I've <laughs> never God. heard like I just I was so like taken aback because it was like now I don't I don't know if this is something where he's like he's 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 found his group like he like he's he's like finally gotten through to the team or something like this or, is his identity with this team he feels like he has guys who get it and guys who are still a little bit yeah, like, yeah but it's the, the second fence. time he's made that kind of comment about his current team like players it's always an odd move to do that to call out your own your own team like that um after especially after a win as well yeah Georgia in this three-year stretch, though Kirby Smart, super super impressive, thirty-six and seven, twenty-one and three in SEC play, three SEC East titles, two New Year's Six Bowl victories, very very good three-year yeah. run. That, in my opinion, is is better than any three-year run that Mark Richt had. And I think mm. that there are, there are people who, if they had lost, because I mean he still got to a national championship as well, and that was the thing that oh, Mark two, Richt was Didn't get to a national championship. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's. I think that that kind of takes the cake at a place like Georgia, where it hasn't happened obviously since Herschel Walker. Right. So I, I think that right now Georgia, you know, you brought up a great point. And I was asked this on on a radio show too, of like who needed that win more? Was it Saban or Kirby? I said Kirby easily. Kirby, the the yeah, perception what? in terms of like their bowl victory, in terms yeah. of what it meant, in oh, terms no, of the off season narrative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I thought it was. I thought that was a pretty slam dunk case. So now the question moving forward with Georgia, we're still waiting to find out about a lot of these NFL draft decisions. That's a big, big deal at a place like Georgia. Still have yet to hear about a certain Jake Fromm. I am shocked that this is even a thing. So you think it's he's coming back no matter what? Yeah, I don't like. Yeah, or his is he projects? He did he get a grade that that was that high? That we don't know. That we don't know. I am interested in what he does because he was pretty much asked point blank by Holly Rowe after the game, and the answer that he gave was not like a. It wasn't. What's the best way to put reassuring? This? It, wasn't, it wasn't a reassuring typical Jake Fromm answer. And I can't. I, I don't have the exact words, but Georgia fans who are watching this, maybe they would. Maybe they would agree with that sentiment. I don't know if Jake Fromm has his mind made up just yet. He still has another two and a half weeks before that deadline, January twentieth. You never know. You just. You never know with these types of things. If he's. If you're thinking, okay, why am I going to come back and run it and run it back with this same offensive coordinator, potentially watch my draft stock fall even more? That's that gets taken into account. I don't know. I'm not saying definitively that he's going to do either one. But you think it's 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 over and done. He's coming back no matter what. I, I and I'm not saying this in a rude way because we've talked about this in the offseason. I think Jake Fromm is a great quarterback. I like I I think he could be a first round talent. I don't think he had a season that showed me he was a first round talent. I agree at I agree. all. And, yeah. and like I, I I'm not. There's listen people that that are NFL scouts and, and make these these picks for like franchises. They know more football better than I do. Right, like I mean, like so, like he might still go first round, and and, and I hope he does because he's a great kid. He's had a great career. I'm just, I I didn't see that coming. I didn't think it'd be this. Like, should should Fromm stay or go? Like, what? Like, like I, I don't. I didn't think that he had that. I don't know. I didn't think he was going to be projected that high. What I will say is this, and I brought this up before early in the season, and I'm just going to stand by it, and I'll let you know now. Georgia is going to win the national championship next year. Oh, next year. Next oh, year okay. they are so going to win I was the national on record. championship. I was on record predicting it for this year. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna take next year. That means I, I definitely can't predict it. That no, absolutely not. I'll quit the podcast. Okay. If you do. You gotta take Bama. But like, 
They, just with everything they have re- returning and like the amount of talent, like this is just make no mistake about it. He has stockpiled just five star after five star after five star. And yep. one of my buddies, Philip Joyner, he actually tweeted this or uh, like posted somewhere on Facebook of like all the players that that are still in the program. Like they're they're losing a a, a lot of good players. Yep. All of the five stars that are still in that program and all the ones that are still coming in, it's 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 mind blowing, man. I, I just I really think that next year is their year. It'll be very interesting to see and how much that depends and how much that that uh, that proverbial hype train that I keep bringing up gets rolling uh, if Jake Fromm announces that decision that he is indeed coming back. Another decision that we are waiting to hear. Hold about. on, real quick. It's going to be a long 2020. You just killed my transition I'm perfectly sorry, again. It's, it's, it needs to be said. It's going to be a long 2020 for Georgia fans. Like that, you can't you can't be mad at me right now and say that I dogged I dogged the team because I I've, I've already said it. There. Yeah, I'm, this is not me hedging, but um, I, I'm, I'm on the train this year. All right, seamless transition, another decision. Another certain NFL draft decision that we are waiting on. In fact, when Tua Tungabailoa makes his decision on Monday, we are going to do a post-Monday podcast. We're going to talk about that decision. We're going to talk about some all-decade type stuff. Um, we might do a little bit of national championship preview stuff, but we're still going to have another full podcast hey. before that to be able to preview, to preview all, all of that as well. But that was a very popular topic of conversation on Wednesday in Orlando. I had the privilege of being at the Citrus Bowl, ate so much food. Gosh, I ate a lot yeah. of food. Man, uh, Four Rivers beforehand, Chick-fil-A at halftime. I mean, they did Little Caesars postgame. I'm not a Little Caesars guy. That's not my cup of tea. And I had dinner at home mm. as well. But it was a it was a very blessed day in that regard. Little blessed Caesars. day for Alabama. Yeah, like the know. hot and ready's. Oh yeah, yeah. Hot Orlando is gross. Whoa, whoa, that's okay. That's unnecessary. Um, Bama rolled in the second half in this game. Wins it 35 to 16. Shuts out Michigan in the second half. It was very very one sided. Um, Jerry Judy, man, um, we was, knew that he was going to have a big game, right? Like. I, was... I, I mean, I, you you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. I, I will say I was absolutely shocked that his uh, his previous career high for receiving yards in the game was 146 or 148. Yeah, you'd think it'd be higher. You'd think yeah. it'd be higher. Um, he, he makes loud catches, though, and by that I mean he makes the ridiculous highlight reel plays that right. he fakes somebody out of their shoes and you see him do something in the open field and you're just like, okay, that's that's just not even fair. Jerry Judy, my appreciation, as I wrote, for him is at a very, very new level. The fact that he played in this game, and I think he even got banged up a little bit during this game because there was a key sequence, I think, in the second quarter in which he went out and he came back into this game where a lot of guys in in his spot where we expect Jerry Judy to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. He hasn't announced his decision just yet, but the way that Saban talked about it afterwards where Saban basically said, like, look, this is why you play in the bowl game because Jerry Judy saw the matchup that he had. He knew that Don Brown was going to put that dumb single high safety there, and sure enough, what do they do on the first play from scrimmage? It was like Steve Sarkeesian was listening to the podcast and seeing what everybody else did and seeing that, oh, all you got to do is take one shot downfield because a safety is not going to be able to guard Jerry Judy 85 yards later, touchdown. I was so... I, I was a lot of things in that moment. Um, the, the front door was open because Kato was in the yard, and I scared the bejesus out of our neighbors. <laughs> with a, and, and their kids learned a lot of new four-letter words because uh, I was fired up. Uh, you know, th- this was this was just so. I, 
maybe I'm being irrational here, and and this is not what it is, but it, but it felt like to me this was such a like the perfect example of the arrogance of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, and just like just really really overvaluing your your talent, your like like how good your team is, how good of a coach you are. Like it just it made me mad. It made me mad that we scored. I, I was I just can't believe they they actually went out with that defense. That was just so predictable, so unbelievably predictable. And, of course, they take that shot right away. You find out that they had been practicing it all week, and that was very, very obvious. Mac Jones basically was like, yeah, we, we, we knew it was going to work. There yeah. was no doubt about it. Um, Jerry Judy was just so, so good in that game, and it was a reminder of – I think he is just one of the one of the better Alabama offensive players ever. I think he's one of the best SEC players of this decade. I put him on my yeah. all decade team at that at that receiver slot as well. And I, I think that he he had a game that just kind of made you realize like this guy's just on in such a different level. And I yeah. don't know if I've really given him enough love. And part of it is because with all that talent around him, it's hard to separate yourself sometimes. Saban talked about that after, about this group is so unique because it really just doesn't have the divas, doesn't have guys who really, you know, and that, that might come off as a little bit cliche, but you see it. And you see it when yeah. all, all of those guys were playing in that game. I did not expect that. And we, you criticized me in the beginning. You said, look, like there is a good chance that a lot more people than you expect are going to play in this game. And all those receivers were out there and they all looked really, really good. I, you know, yeah, you're, and thank you for bringing that up. That I was right. Um, I, <laughs> no, I, like, I, I think it seemed like Saban was actually was really able to get through to this team, and I don't think for it's because sure. of like the message like finally got through. I think it's just this group of kids is different. Like this group of players at Bama is just different, and I think you're seeing that with, like Dylan Moses coming back when he could, yeah. you know, he could leave it, and, and and maybe it's also because of like literally the last group that we saw leave with Mac Wilson and Deontay Thompson, and, and before that with Ronnie Harrison, these guys that. You know, kind of didn't listen to the advice that Saban had about not leaving early, and, and this mm-hmm. is it was I was nervous going into this because like I, I said flat out like none of them have to play, none of them need to play if they don't yeah. want to. Like like I, I wouldn't be mad at any of them, but when Saban made the point about if the if if you're not in like slot in the top fifteen, which I was pretty crushed that Tua was the guy in the top fifteen, <laughs> I thought it was going to be Judy. Um, you know, this is a, a chance for you to go out and like kind of prove yourself. And there was two guys that I was really hoping might have a chance of coming back, especially Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith and Najee Harris, where there's a lot of rumors saying it's at least like 50-50 for both, and, and Devonta had already come out and kind of you know hinted at a few things. He, they both had such good games showing their value as so much more than their just their position. Yeah. Like Devonta Smith on special teams, Devonta Smith as a leader screaming at Slade Bolden because we got a damn penalty on another 12 men on the field for for on a punt. Um, but like he downed a, I think he made a big attack on social teams he downed up like a punt inside like the four yard line it was like the, he did a lot of stuff that I, I think will translate well into like getting like improving his draft stock absolutely and that was the the thing that Saban said kept kept harping on afterwards just look at what these guys were willing to do I mean this was this was a, a, a group of guys that did not necessarily have to come out and look like that but they wanted to prove something and this wasn't necessarily the standard that Alabama's used to playing to, but this was still a game that we absolutely wanted to win. Hold on. Um, this is, this is, I just, I want to say one thing about the, are we moving on to the next game? No, we're not moving on to the next okay. game. There's still a couple things I want to hit on. This, this, like what was more impressive and made me feel like more proud of this win, I guess, or like, or like happy and satisfied with this win. That first half was awful to watch. It was, it was, it was tough to watch. They were Defense gashing. Defense getting run all over. And, yep. and like I was, which was very frustrating because it's like you're not used to seeing that. This is the, the worst rush defense they've had under Saban in the last 11 years. We, we brought it up before. It, it was 
this is not making an excuse. It was an absolute mash unit out there of of people that like you're missing nine starters from the start of the season. You also have like there's there's people in the secondary and, and D line that I didn't know. I, I honestly hadn't heard like heard their name this like mentioned, and the fact that you're getting pushed around up front in, in the first half and it was like God, this is gonna be a nightmare scenario if they lose this game to Jim Harbaugh and then we have to go nine months hearing about it. The second half that you come out and you shut down the run, right? You go, you give up 286 yards of total offense in the uh, in the first half. They had the ball for almost 20 full minutes. In the second half, they had six total possessions, Connor. Six possessions. They went punt, 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 INT, INT. And and to watch the defense finally like stop the run and kind of like be, be like out physical people at the line of scrimmage. That was uh, that. Thank God. And then Najee Harris basically just plowing his way for that touchdown at the end, which uh, Michigan players might not have liked, and they probably should have stopped it if they didn't like it very much. Yeah, um, you, it's not running up the score that? if you're running the ball. Like it's you know, twelve plays in that last drive, and eleven of them were runs to Najee. Yeah, you can say you got smacked in the face all you want, but your job as a defensive player is just to be able to tackle guys who carry right. the football. So I don't really know where that's coming from. Um, interesting dynamic that's probably overlooked in a game like this because Tua is still kind of the big storyline of a game like this. Yeah. It was a very popular topic of conversation. Greg McElroy said on the broadcast that he thinks Tua is coming back. A lot of people are speculating. I heard in the press box, you know, there was somebody next to me. I, I, I don't, I didn't know exactly who it was, but I knew it was an Alabama media member who said he's about 75% sure that Tua is coming back. Take that for what it is. Um, we're, we're going to find out about this on Monday as he announced but Mac Jones had an interesting day because we talked about this going in. What Mac Jones is going to be able to do that's different than Bryce Young, that's different than Talia Tungabailoa, that's different than Paul Tyson, is he actually gets this game proof where he got to face two quality defenses to end the season with Auburn and Michigan. And he got to work with Steve Sarkeesian and he got to develop a little bit of this, this rapport. And how much is are these games going to give him that edge in that battle? Now, obviously, if Tua comes back, that's all. That, that discussion I mean, you know, is he's over. Gotta earn it. He's got to earn it if he comes <laughs> but, back. But if Tua doesn't come back, what, did, what do you think Mac Jones did to sort of solidify his place in this QB battle? I love I – love, I'm totally ready to ride with Mac Jones. I, really? I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Mac Jones, not Mike Jones. Who? Yeah, Mac, Mac Jones. Two I, so one. This is like like – <clears throat> Excuse me. Like the the off season, like it'll play out the way it plays out. It's a long off season that you know uh, Talia could could develop into like an incredible quarterback. Bryce Young can come in, whatever. Mac Jones has he's he's so well liked by his teammates. For one, you he's, do see that, yeah, yeah. And, and and like what you brought up, I was shocked that this wasn't brought up more because and and this is not like a slight at LSU because what they've done is incredible on offense. We talk about Joe Brady so much. I feel like we've said before, Sarkeesian just kind of fell by the wayside and didn't get a lot of love. Yep. These two games against Auburn and, and, and Michigan, you went in with a backup quarterback, both of them away from home, and you had two top 15 defenses. Michigan was the number seventh ranked total defense in the country. Number seven overall. And, and you could say, like, well, it was a, a, you know, a facade, or they weren't that good. Regardless, for 12 games, they had the seventh best, like statistically, the seventh best defense in the country. In those two games, they put up 45 points and 515 yards against Auburn and then put up 35 points and 480 yards against Michigan with a backup quarterback and nine total starters out. That, that was that was so impressive and important, I feel like, going into the offseason if Tua doesn't come back. He can make those throws. He absolutely can, and he's, he's definitely got the confidence now. You see a little bit more of a, 
uh, of a swagger, swagger about him. He, he's he's kind of he's developing that. You could definitely yep. see it for sure. Um, we'll have a lot more on the QB situation in Tuscaloosa, no doubt about yeah, it's it. It's just a roll of the dice emotionally that we're going to record right after that decision. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm looking forward. I'm hoping he he announces the decision at like two o'clock, and then we record just right after we get right into it. We get just peak Marler either way yeah. I'm here for it I'm here for it it'll be really good I, I'm already here for the rationalization of, of either decision that's fine um, the Orange Bowl a game in which Florida was favored by a lot didn't didn't cover but Florida winning another New Year's Six Bowl yeah they did yes uh, no Florida didn't cover in this game because uh, Virginia scored late touchdown oh, did you I not realize to... that until right unbelievable now? Yeah, I, I didn't even notice that yeah, it was a very significant touchdown. It was. Uh, Florida still led for most of this game. I thought was in control for mm-hmm. most of this game. Dominated in total yards. Was clearly the better team, in my opinion. Michael P. Ryan, just ridiculous. This my a great gosh. great day for him, man. He, he helped his draft stock, absolutely. He was so fun to watch in the passing game, you know, getting carries. Whatever he was doing, it was working for Florida. It wasn't necessarily a Kyle Trask hype train game. I thought he was good at moments, not great. I love the fact that when they had that controversial fumble that they didn't, I, I think they just didn't even review. And then right after he just, or no, they, they reviewed it, but they didn't overturn it. They, they allowed Florida to keep the ball. And then he just like ran the ball three straight times right after that. He's yeah. like, you don't think I can carry the ball? I can do it. Um, I, I'm still high on Kyle Trask, as you know. That's so you're stubborn. It is. I'm stubborn, but I, I have changed my thinking on something that I'm going to get to in a minute here. SEC Network, um, on all their social media platforms, may or may not have, but definitely did steal my stat about Dan Mullen, which was, as I've said on this podcast, Dan Mullen became the first coach in the BCS slash playoff era to start his his time at a new place by winning two consecutive BCS slash New Year's Six Bowls. I think I very, saw it on very uh, SEC Network. That was, yeah, I, I heard that. They got so much love for that tweet. And thank you to all the listeners who tagged me in their Instagram posts, tagged me in their tweets, and saying, oh, you better give Connor credit. You know what? Like, I thought about doing something petty and tweeting about it and tweeting about how frustrated. Could you please not? Because they're a pretty big partner for us. (laughs) I was going to say, you know what? Like, they've been so good to us. We love the people over there at the SEC Network. I'm not going to call them out. They give us a ton of content, so I'm not going to be bitter about it. But I'm just saying, if you saw it from them, you saw it from me. That's all. It sounds like you're not bitter about it. so yeah, what is what are you doing right now? <laughs> I, I will say I thought this was Kyle Trask's worst game of the season. I thought he looked, really. I thought he looked the way, and I, I mean like, you know like, I mean maybe maybe I'm wrong because I haven't seen him play like every single game, but like his numbers were always pretty good. He seemed like he was always in control of the offense. And he was pretty accurate, and, and and you know they they had to switch like that whole offense is always predicated off the run and the Mullen offense, and they you know they were a throw first team because they had such good weapons on the outside they couldn't run the football. I just thought he, he this game kind of looked like early on how I thought he would have looked like against LSU or against you know some of those early games when he, his first starts. I think that's fair. I, I don't think he was pinpoint accuracy. Mm-hmm. I, I was expecting him to look better in this game. I thought the matchup set up really well for him. That didn't necessarily prove to be the case. Dan Mullen, the stat that I brought up before is part of this argument. I think right now, if I'm an athletic director and I'm given the decision of picking a coach in college football, any coach in the country. I want Saban, I can have Saban, I can have Dabo, whatever. What are you about to say? There are not five people that I, I'm already on the record for this. There are not five people that I am taking ahead of Dan Mullen. And I realize, I realize he doesn't have the best resume. 
I had him at number nine in my in my top twenty five coach rankings. Uh, so I, the I went quote back was, "There's not that. ten people you would have you would have taken ahead of him." Yeah, and I yeah. have I have since changed my thinking after watching what he has done this yeah. year. And there's an example here because I think when we talk about this argument of who's an elite coach, who's not, yes, part of his resume, I, I totally get all that. But I I would take Dan Mullen over Jimbo Fisher right now, and I'm saying that in part because the last three seasons. Where Jimbo Fisher, I understand he's been in a different situation at Texas A&M. Three, season in which, three straight seasons in which he hasn't won double-digit games. And the thing that I keep coming back to, 2017, the opener against Bama. Number three team in the country. It's the opener of the century. Oh, yeah. Florida State quarterback, DeAndre Francois, goes down in the season opener. Florida State season falls apart. Everything that was kind of, you know, kind of had some questions about, everything just blew up. And, and to Jimbo reschedule Fisher Delaware State control. to make it to a bowl game. He lost control of that situation. Dan Mullen, starting quarterback, goes down. Turns to a guy who hasn't started in seven years. Florida wins 11 games. Jim, yeah, Jimbo I mean, Fisher is a great coach. I'm taking Dan Mullen over Jimbo Fisher to run my program right now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree that, that, that I would use that exact argument with those parameters as to why I would... I would I would choose him. I, I don't like five. Seems like a, a very low number, but I, I don't. I don't want to think about it right now because it'll take. Chris so Peterson. Chris Peterson's no longer no longer active. Urban Meyer no longer active yeah. as well. I think one two is so so obvious, and they are so far ahead with Dabo and, and Saban. Matt Luke. <laughs> Matt Luke. But I think the argument for for kind of like three through six or three through seven is more I, open than it's been. So like what, what I would say is like. I don't, I don't, I can't, th- I'm, I'm trying to like rack my brain and see if there, there would be five because it seems like such a it's low number. It's tough, right? But I, would, I would tell you flat out that like I wouldn't argue with you on it at all. Okay. Because if there's anything I learned this season, like we, we, we all have some bad takes. And I, I, like, I said Garantano was going to be the third best quarterback in the SEC. Yeah, you did. That was awful. But like, shout out Malik Willis as well. This, the, like, the, my, my assessment of Florida and, and Dan Mullen could not have been. More ignorant, wrong, dumb, stupid—whatever you want to say—it was that. It, it like th- he is—he has done such an incredible job in his first two years at Florida, and it, it just blows my mind that he's still catching crap. He's catching crap for the Georgia thing, and, and don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that he's that he's a better coach than Kirby Smart right now. I, I would probably trust him in an in-game scenario more than I would Kirby Smart with yeah, making some have of these decisions for sure. But in terms of you know, in terms of. Guys who would have been able to win 11 games, given those circumstances, with not only having the backup quarterback, you know, for basically starting yeah. the entire season, but also having a weak offensive line and having to work around that. That was the thing that Jimbo Fisher couldn't do at Florida State. When right. the offensive it, it line was bad and refused to do, and it fell apart. And Dan Mullen just still finds ways to win. He finds ways to get guys like LaMichael Pirine more involved when you know the offensive line isn't necessarily creating running lanes, still gets him involved in the passing game. Does all these little things to help you win football games. And that's a team that, in my in my opinion, wasn't necessarily built to win 11 games this year. But the difference yeah. is Dan Mullen. Uh, like, do you tell me any, any, especially this play of the SEC, you tell me any team that has won 11 games and and been ranked a hundred, I think it was like a hundred and twelfth in rushing offense in the mm-hmm. country. That's yep. I mean that's that's ridiculous. And you know I I still am, am I will always say that I think that Jimbo was his own. You know he he messed up his his situation at at Florida State way more than the administration did. I mean like that whole situation like that was his fault for not having offensive linemen. 
Yep. It was basically like he bought a house and they got like they saw spiders like we got to move. I can't do this anymore. Just spray some rain <laughs> on it. Um, uh, yeah, works. Mullen has been just—it's been so in, in, incredibly impressive. And and I—I I, I know he's been getting like you know they've been harping on like the recruiting, maybe getting four or five stars. I, I just I think this was—it's weird. We I feel like we say it every year, but this this might have been the best coaching job in the country, or the SEC, or like I, I mean. And that's not taking anything away from Coach O and, and or the other coach that I'm a fan of that had to replace nine starters at the year. Like it, this was you're the the first person on your team, the most polarizing player in the SEC, maybe like going into the season, yeah. goes down game one, and you have to bring not, in a kid. Game one, or game two, you have to you have to or game three, whatever. That's I don't all right. Care. <laughs> you have to bring in a kid that hasn't played since like the Bush administration and has hasn't started a game, and then it was like it's fine, I got it, We're, we'll be okay. And they just were. They were just okay. They were good. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Um, not quite Bush. Obama, I think, was, was, was still just, president. Just a joke. Don't, That's all right. Since, since the Eisenhower administration. Yeah. <laughs> a guy who knows a thing or two about Dan Mullen is a guy who played for him uh, back at Florida, a certain Mr. Tim Tebow, who we had the pleasure of catching up with. Uh, we talked to him before the Sugar Bowl, and as you'll see in the interview, he actually is going to end up looking really smart by what he had to say. But uh, great to catch up with Tim Tebow. So here is our interview with him. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a recurring guest. It is Tim Tebow. Uh, Tim, we're roughly nine hours removed from the end of Florida's win in the Orange Bowl. I've always wanted to know how amped up you get watching your Gators. I imagine it's kind of like the Heisman commercial when you're frustrated to be sitting behind that slow driver. Is that, <laughs> is that fair? Ah, that's a that's a good one. I don't think it's that bad all the time, um, but there's there. I, I definitely do not necessarily like watching with a lot of people, so I can be really focused and locked in, <laughs> and um, and you know sometimes I'll, I'll I'll even try to you know predict. I wonder what Dan's going to call here. How is he going to adjust to this? And so yeah, I get uh, I get pretty locked in and amped for for my guys. That's for sure. That's fair. That's fair. So Tim is Tim is joining us on behalf of the Allstate AFCA Good Works team. Uh, rumor has it that you and some guy named Usher are teaming up in New Orleans this week. Why don't you uh, tell us about the fine work that you're doing with those folks? Yeah, we, we sure are. And the, the Allstate Good Works team uh, is going to be uh, here to, today with us um, at the Einstein Charter School, and we're going to be refurbishing a bunch of stuff. I will specifically be working on the weight room, and I'll probably try to get Usher's help with that as well. Um, uh, <laughs> we're going to redo the whole thing for, for their team here, and uh, we're going to be redoing the garden, the tennis court. It's a bunch of different things, and um, yeah, I love it every year because we get a chance to give back, and, uh, and that's why all these guys guys are part of the good work team because they've made such a difference in their community and and i love getting a chance to celebrate them get to know all of them um, but also you know tell them thank you for the impact that they've made so marler's going to hate me for asking this question but what is kyle trask's potential in dan mullen's offense in 2020 well, I think, you know, that Kyle is someone who's really showed this year that he's poised, he's accurate, he throws with great anticipation, he doesn't seem to get flustered, um, he um, is a, a capable runner, um, you know, I, I think... Um, They've been in every game, including LSU at LSU this year, um, you know, and, and so I think 
you know, if he's able to, if the whole team's able to rally and um, and fit a few more pieces and um, replace a couple of the receivers, and um, they got a lot of them coming back, um, that they have a chance to be really special. Um, I, I really think so. I think they'll probably start the year um, top ten next year, and um, and you know have a chance to have a big year. Tim, Florida's almost, this sounds weird saying it, but they've almost quietly won 21 games in the last two years. They've they've lost three straight to Georgia, but it, it seems like the writing's on the wall. Is Florida closing the gap on, on Georgia in your eyes? Yes, um, I, I think so. I don't think there's a big gap there. I think um, Florida is um, playing their best at the end of the year. I think both the, of the last two years, they've they've grown and gotten better throughout the year. Um, and I think right now at the end of the year, Florida is uh, you know is is playing um, really well. And I think they'll continue to grow and develop and, and get better. I think they're early this year. I think they're still trying to find their identity. You know, it kind of changed from somewhat of a, a, a controlled running game to now it's a little bit more spread um, possession passing game and I, I think that's you know important for a team to find its identity I think Florida's kind of found it right now with who they want to be and, and what they're best at doing and um, I think they will continue to do that and that's something that Dan is really good at he will adjust to his players and um, I think he's shown that over the course of his history We've seen uh, we've seen you come up a lot lately. I feel like whenever we're watching Joe Burrow, and you know some stat comes up that compares his season to the one that you had back in 2007 as one of the best individual seasons we've ever seen in college football. In your opinion, where does Burrow's season rank among the all-time great years that we've seen in college football? Oh, I think you can if he finishes it um, with the championship. I think it'll rank as. Um you know, it's hard to just off the top of my head right now think about all of them, but uh, all of the ones I can think of, it's up there with the best. I mean, it's, there's an they're argument mainly for yours, it. Tim. I, I think there's <laughs> yeah, they're all yours. <laughs> no, no, no. I think there's arguments for a lot of uh, a lot of guys. I think there's an argument for Cam and Ten. I think there's an argument for you know. Um, a lot of the uh, the Heisman Trophy winners, you know, b- before us. Um, but I, I think that that if Joe's able to finish this and beat Clemson and and put up these stats and and beat, well, I think what does he have? Six top ten wins and 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 dominate. I mean, dominate. There's only been one game that's been within a touchdown. That was Auburn, a really good defense. And besides that, he they've they've. Like just just destroy people. Went to Tuscaloosa, won, beat Florida, beat Texas on a third and seventeen, stepping up in the pocket. Like he has Heisman moment after Heisman moment. If they finish it the right way, um, I think he'll have an argument to have one of the best. So you're in New Orleans right now. Um, LSU is going to be shortly. It's going to be there shortly to play for a national title. Does it feel like LSU's year? Yes. Yes, it does. I mean, it's just, it's magical. I said this the other day on the air. I said, if they're able to to finish this and win it, not only was I saying that about Joe and his season being magical and one of the best ever, but I also feel like that's going to be true about LSU. If they yep. if they can continue to show the dominance for one more game and beat a um, defending national champs in Clemson, I really think that 
people will put this LSU team, um, they will have an argument with uh, the Nebraskas, the Miamis, the teams that people say had the best teams of all time, just because of their dominance. All these top ten wins and, and the way they beat them, the way they put up points, like, it's just, uh, it's just, it's been a little bit silly. It's been a special season, and to be able to end it in your home state, are you kidding? Like, I mean, honestly, like, I love Disney movies because they're happy, but Disney wouldn't even write a script this good, you know? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, the, the greatest movie of all time. I've been saying that. Connor hasn't agreed. Uh, no, <laughs> That's not true. So, so this LSU offense, they have been incredibly fun to watch this season. Now, do you think this is something they can continue to perform at or near this level for this season in the future, or is this kind of a perfect storm with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, and it's just it's just being, been kind of an incredible year for LSU this season? Yeah, well, it's a really good question. It's a really well worded too, because if you said at this level, I, I would say um, no. I don't. I think it's a it's a perfect storm. You you call it defenses off balance. You have a Heisman Trophy winner and a quarterback who's playing out of his mind with confidence and accuracy and poise. You have a receiving core that three of them will have a chance. To to be possible first-rounders. You have a, a very big um, athletic tight end. You have a running back that may be the most underrated player in the country and maybe the most underrated player that I've evaluated in my time of doing college football. Um, that's how good I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is. So, you know, and then um, a secretly good defense that has played really good when they needed to and uh, and played really good their last three games. Um so I think that all that put to, you know to, together, I just think that it's going to be hard to match. I mean, will will they continue to have success? Have they found something special? Absolutely. But at this level, that I mean, just that's really really hard. So Tim, this this won't come out until after the Georgia game. So we'll we'll get all takes exposed uh, if you're wrong here. It, you've experienced what it's like to play in a bowl game coming off an SEC championship loss. Sorry for the reminder. Um, we saw how Georgia came out last year. Can you sort of predict the future and tell us how you think this team is going to come out? Yeah, I think they're going to um, come out with a little bit more juice than than last year. Um, you know, there was. I, I mean, I remember hearing grumblings um, from the locker room for two days leading up to last year's game, and it meant everything to Texas, and it meant nothing to Georgia, and um, and I think to Jake and and some of the leaders on this team, it will mean uh, more this year, and I think they're going to give a better effort. Do I think that it's going to necessarily be? Um, the most inspired effort of all time? Well, no, because I don't think that, you know, it's 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 hard to necessarily get up the same way that I think it is for Baylor and playing in such a big game for them to be able to get up. But I do think they're going to put together a much better performance than they did last year. All right, so since apparently the theme of all my questions has been that I can't enjoy the moment, um, looking forward to next, or looking ahead to next season, what is one name that we don't know yet as SEC fans, but we'll definitely know by the end of next season, offense and defense if you can, but what, what's one guy? Oh, goodness. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, you know, this is someone that, uh, that a lot of people already know because he flashed on the scene, but I think John Rice Plumley with Lane Kiffin mm. um, has a chance to do some unique things. I think he is um, stupid fast. I just don't think, like, you talk to LSU defenders and other guys, and they say, like, 
like, uh, like, it's, it's like different level when we're facing him. It's not even close. And, you know, when he came on the scene against Cal and all of a sudden he ran by everybody, it was like they just don't expect it from him. And I think yeah. if Lane Kiffin can continue to work with him and develop his ability to, to throw from the pocket and his poise in the pocket, uh, it's, I mean, he could, he could have a chance to really, really scare some people um, in the film room when they're getting ready to face him. So uh, I got one question before we get you out on Two Minute Drill here. I ask you this every time you come on, and I'm not sure if you remember this. Full disclosure here, we're recording this at 8 a.m. Central Time for you. Um, how many avocados have you had today, and how many avocados will you have today? I love it. I do. I, uh, it, I'm not making this up. I have a half of an avocado on the desk in front of me. And so, <laughs> yes. so far, I've, I've had zero, but it, there's one in front of me. Um, so that will be consumed um, momentarily. I mean, Tim, listen, this is a casual interview. You, I mean, feel free to eat the avocado. Like, we're, yeah, you're no, not gonna, no one's going to judge that's you fine. for that. I mean, this, <laughs> well, thank, you, legend. thank um, you for your grace. Yeah, I got you. So we are going to get you out of here on Two Minute Drill. We did this last year, and I don't know if you remember this, but um, it was tough for me because I misspell or mispronounced the word Deuteronomy um, <laughs> several times. And but it, it's, okay. now it's my time to shine. I, we can, I we can still couldn't spell it. So I appreciate that. So we're gonna get you out of here on two minute drill. It's just rapid fire questions. You tell me the first thing that pops in your mind. Um, this it's 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 hard hitting journalism. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. First question. Connor put two minutes on the clock. Favorite show to binge watch on Netflix? Um. Right now I'm watching Bull. Oh. Okay. Uh, side note: Have you watched The Office? I have not, but a lot of Tim, people lot tell me that they love it. One of my brothers loves it. It's fantastic. We'll have to get you on that next time. Okay, second question. What is your go-to road trip snack? Boltong. I'm sorry, what? Do you know, it's South African beef jerky. It's fantastic, and my fiance is South African, so she got me on it, and it's like beef jerky that's like um, – Filet versions of beef jerky. It's really Ooh. good and really clean, dude. It's it's. I'm telling you, it'll kind of partially change your life. It sounds like Dang. it. Okay. Um, next question. Current SEC player that remind that most reminds you of you. Ooh, gosh. Um, goodness. Um. Dang, that's a good question. Um. I'm on fire I, today. I don't know if there's anybody necessarily with the, uh, uh, too much of a similar style. I think that would be a um, um, a mixture of uh, you know the lefty. So maybe uh, I would be uh, a mixture of a of a Bo Nix, John Rice Plumley, Tua. Maybe you know the lefty Ooh, like Tua. Okay, but I like then, that. I like that concussion. A, a, a little, yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe the lesser version of all of them. I don't know. Okay. Um, I like that. A better hair, you or Jordan Rogers? Um, I would say my, uh, I'll give Jordan better hair, but I'll say mine's more natural with less product. I like that a lot. Uh, okay, if you got to be honest here, what size shirts are you wearing, and are they custom sleeves? The shirt that I'm wearing right now is like a, it's a, a Zara double X, and it's it is um, it's not super fitted. 
Okay, fair enough. Uh, this is from my mother, Pastor Patty Sue. She's a big fan of yours. She says, it's 2020. If you could change or affect one thing in 2020, what would it be? Um, wow, well, we're going to get deep with this one. I yeah, would uh, want to encourage everybody in their worth and how valuable they are and to make 2020 something um, where they can realize just how special they are and be able to live that out every day. Okay, we have. I love that. We have two two left, and we'll get you out of here. Wedding planning, best part, worst part. Um, best part is is actually looking forward to it. It's like the excitement of like when we're talking through stuff. That's like it seems really fun, and we have a lot of surprises. I think worst part is when she says, um, "What." What do you what do you, what would you prefer? And I honestly say I don't care. But then you realize that was the wrong answer. You know, that's a trap. Yep. You realize, yeah, you can't say that. that one. You don't say you just um, you you automatic. Even if you don't care, you gotta care. But you just gotta choose something. And then sometimes she'll agree with you, or she'll go with the other one. And that's yeah, fine too. I've never related to you more in my entire life. That's perfect. <laughs> All right, we're getting, this is the last question here. This is the most important one. I'm getting married April 24th, and I'm going through the same exact thing as you just said. Um, but I got I got to drop some weight. I got to get on your level. Give me a, a motivational speech right now to get me pumped to get this thing going. To get to get uh, planning for your wedding going. No, to get me to lose weight. That's way more important. Oh, to get you to lose weight. Um, yeah. All right, you only have one life, one opportunity, one body. Why not take care of it? You know, people talk about being stewards with their money. Why not be a steward with your body? Your body's always going to be more important than your wallet will ever be. Um, and so, and plus, you know, hopefully you only have one wedding. So why not be in prime Good shape? Point. Because you want to tell your your wife that you care about her. And one way you care about her is by being in the best shape so that she can be um, proud of not only the man you are, but how you take care of your body as well. Well. All right, you know what? That's perfect. Yeah, I'm going to add this up. It sounded a little bit like an Eminem song at first, but that was good. 316 points, Tim. That is a wow. fantastic round. High score. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Nice. I like it. Perfect. Tim, we appreciate, oh, man, we appreciate you coming on. We of course. You coming on I like on your questions. The, uh... I like the fun. I like laughing. It's good. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll let's, we'll forward those questions to Stephen A. Smith. We'll have him ask you those questions every once in a while as well. Um, go Perfect. eat some uh, go eat some avocados and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm sure we'll talk soon, man. We'll do it. Thanks, guys. All right, appreciate Thanks, it. Okay, so we just got finished watching Indiana blow a 13 point lead to lose to Tennessee. And let me let me clarify because Tom Hart had a great stat on the broadcast that ESPN Stats and Information had. It happens. Teams in FPS this year were 0 and 471 when trailing by 13 points with five minutes to go this season. Tennessee. You know, whoever had to keep track of that stat when they got to like 380, I I feel like they were like, okay, you know what? It's all of them. It's all of them. Um, Good, yeah, good. Sorry for Indiana. Okay, so and, I've been getting people that have been tweeting at me. I, I'm not an Indiana football fan. I'm not an Indiana football fan. I graduated from wait, Indiana. They, what are they tweeting at you? Like they're mad? Like they're no, like they're like my, they're like my condolences for whatever. I'm like I, I don't care. I really don't care. I had I think I had 34 points on Tennessee in the confidence pool because this is what wow. Indiana football does. 
This is what Indiana I, football does. Year I feel in, so year sorry out. for all of these nice condolences you were getting in your in your DMs after your team lost because that's it's what not my team. To me it's too. not my team. I don't have a team. I cannot stress this enough. I have not been an Indiana football fan. I did not grow up an Indiana football fan. I'm not going to pretend to be one. Man, and I'm not just saying this. Hater. I would say this if they won as well. But I was just saying it's it's nice that people are actually giving you nice sentiments oh. after your, they thought your team lost because yeah, that's, that's usually the polar opposite of what I. Uh, get or most people get on the internet so yeah indiana football indiana football is a different beast and credit tennessee because indiana was so unprepared for that onside kick and after that happened i you know i actually said i said to my wife as we were watching the game um when it was what was it uh 22 to 9 i said yeah this is exactly the type of game that indiana loses and then everything just happened from that point on i i mean they honestly could have skipped the first half of that game because it was not it, it was it played out like the goals. most big 10 football game ever yeah. there was there were prime numbers at one point like the, the point you brought up tennessee had a prime number and they were also losing by a prime number and i was like this is my hell i can't wait what was I the prime number 13 and 9 Oh, it was thirteen to nine. Oh, wait, no, was it? No, no, it was it was twenty two to nine. You subtract. Never mind. It's the math. Okay, problem. all right, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, um, Jared Garrett got pulled in this game too, which was <sighs> such a weird thing. Brian Maurer got got put into the game in the third quarter. That was after the pick six, and when the pick six happened, at that point, a lot of people were saying, "All right, this just isn't Tennessee's day." And maybe for Jeremy Pruitt, you're thinking you just give the freshmen some experience or whatever it is, but. It was a weird move because then immediately after that, Garantano goes back into the game, and he was just on the sideline with a helmet off, so it wasn't like he was going to the bathroom or anything like that. Yeah. He was full-on benched, and then he was put back into this game, and they were able to put this comeback together. Good for that kid who has just stuck through a lot, kind of a fitting way for him to be able to, to go down, and Jawan Jennings having the near first down yeah. on that play where it was initially a really, really bad spot, but yeah. good for him to be able to play in the second half of this one. What a weird wild win that was for Tennessee so I had I, I one of our uh, listeners Joe Morrison he like sent something in our group thread and it was like remedies for for insomnia and it was like prescriptions and the bottom he like you know basically like photoshopped in like the 2020 uh, Gator Bowl and I was like oh, this is hilarious it's so spot on <laughs> so I posted it on on like our social media and that could not have aged poor, like worse that was it became like a really good game I just I mean I don't understand the whole Tennessee, the quarterback thing. Maybe it worked. Like maybe that's maybe it lit a fire under Garantano's ass, and like that's why they came maybe, back. I don't know. It still doesn't make any. It's like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It, I, I I didn't enjoy that at all. The Tennessee defense to me, it's just so good. I mean, this 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 unit, which I thought played really really well in the first half, and they only allowed ended up only allowing 15 points in this game to an Indiana offense that had come in averaging over 32 really points good. per game. And, you know, because you got to take away the pick six from that. So mm-hmm. I, I thought what Tennessee did defensively is kind of just what they've been doing the entire second half of the year. You know, I said, I think I said this in our bowl preview episode that we did, Tennessee in the second half of games post-Georgia was allowing five points per second half. This, yeah. that's, that's the sign of a group that, that adjusts really well. It's got coaches that are able to make those right tweaks in the locker room. And that, that kind of was what it felt like. And I understand that it looked ugly early on. Indiana had a nice drive coming out of the half. And it looked like this is, oh, man, this is just more Tennessee frustration. And then, you know, they put the clamps down. They got the stops that they needed down the stretch. Credit, credit this young and promising Tennessee defense, which is going to be, I think, really, really good next year. And it's going to be kind of billed as yeah. one of the conference's best for sure. 
So, and I do want to say, and I, I, I agree with you on everything you said. Like, I'm just trying to be realistic, and this is not a slight at Tennessee, because this second half of the season has truly been one of the best stories in, in football. And yeah, I feel like we say that about so many things, and maybe it's just because the SEC in general has had so many awesome stories, but like the Lynn Bowden thing, obviously LSU, this second half resurgence from an absolute national brand and yeah. power, this has been awesome to watch. Like, they're like, They've won, what, six out of seven. Like, the only loss was to Six Bama. straight ten in the season. Six straight ten in the season. Right. So, so, so in the last eight games, they won seven of those eight games, right? Yeah. And when you, when you look at what they were able to do, you talk about the defense. The defense was giving up only 265 yards a game. Yeah. And, and I know the schedule gets a little bit easier in the back half for Tennessee, as it does every year. Um, just just that's the nature of how it's, it's set up. But I, they, like to, you're right. Indiana has a very good offense. The, the fact they were able to keep them just, I mean – not in check. They were shut down the entire first half. I, I was that was really impressive. Let's. If I know the the Tennessee hype train is going to get rolling because that's the nature of the beast, and when uh, that's just how we are as college football fans. When we see a traditional power, which I, I would consider Tennessee a, a traditional power, I think that's they're fair to. Yeah, to they put ruined in my childhood. Group. Yeah, I, I think that we as college football fans, when we see them start to win and start to look like their former selves, we say all of a sudden, all right, it, it's on. You know, they're going to start winning division titles again. I mean, this has been said before in Rocky Top. That's not new necessarily, but let's let's pump the brakes a little bit because I still oh, think that don't even start. I, no, you're, I'm, you're the you're the leader of most of those hype. But no, I'm, I'm I'm telling you, I'm telling you. They are not on Florida and Georgia's level yet. They they, yeah. they aren't. Maybe they will be in a few years. And this defense is improving. And the more five-star talent that Jeremy Pruitt continues to yep. get in there, they have the potential to, to look much better next year against these two teams. I am not putting them in that same group. But, man, I am I am super impressed with the second half. And you're right. It, it yeah. has been a totally out-of-nowhere story after the year that started where week two, week three – Everybody's calling for Philip Fulmer to be the next Tennessee coach. I mean, that's that's where no, we were mainly at. just Philip Fulmer. But yeah, I mean, it's and it was not everybody. But what, man, yeah, like I, I was mainly saying as a joke, but it's it was th- this team could have. They're so young. They're they're in the second year of this coach who obviously did not have a good start. They could have. They had every excuse or had every reason to give up yep. on the season. You know what I mean? And kind of roll over. And they didn't do that, which is that says a lot about like the program and also Jeremy Pruitt. But I tell you, like I don't want to get the hype train rolling just because the fans, like, I want to temper their expectations. Yeah. We had that already going into the season. That being said, there, there is a, a huge promising upside. Guaranteed on coming back. Um, I, Moyer, Moyer, every time he goes Mauer, in, Mauer, like, you're going to get this right. Whatever. Every time, he, every time he goes in, it reminds me of when Hannah would pick Luke P on a, on a date. You're like, what? what is going on right now? What a reference. Like, everything was going fine. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think going I, – I will give you one over under, Connor. I'll, I'll, I'll switch it up and, and play it. your game. Or just which one will be said more? Uh, Tennessee is back. Or, you know, this offseason, college football is just better when Tennessee is good. I hate it when people say that about any team. I, I really, really do because it's like, you know, says who? Says who? There are mm-hmm. a lot of people that enjoy watching Texas be awful. There are a lot of people that yeah, enjoy watching Notre Dame get trucked. There are people that like Michigan getting to the big stage and then just getting embarrassed. I yes, don't buy. I don't buy the belief when anybody says that because there are so many. There are so many people who enjoy in those teams failing, and I think that they have been living good lives for the last few years. Probably that I. I just think that that's ridiculous. But 
Tennessee, good for that program to be able to to be able to end this season like this. If you're Jeremy Pruitt, this is exactly the kind of momentum that you were hoping for. When the idea for me at one time of Tennessee even getting to six wins in the regular season was so so we far out there, we we did. I we I, I said point blank, Tennessee's not going to a bowl game. They, they proved me wrong. I'm sure they proved a lot yeah. of other people wrong as well. Tip well, of the cap to the job that they're able to do. And I, I will say this: like this is not like all jokes aside. Shout out to that fan base, man. They showed up in They're full loyal. force, and they, that was that was awesome to watch. And like, regardless of rivalries and other kind of stuff, it is it was cool to see that fan base like get rewarded again. Absolutely, very very cool. We're gonna have probably uh, some interesting off season storylines, I think, with Tennessee for sure. So I, I know you've probably heard me say this a lot before, but if you for whatever reason have not gone to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group and followed along with all the fun, you're missing out. I'm just gonna say it, you're missing out. You should definitely go do that. It is a private group, but all you have to do is answer three questions. Basically just you know, kind of make sure that you're not a bot or, or whatever, but uh, you should definitely go do that. We're having a lot of fun on our Facebook group, which is up over 4,000 people over there. Um, you're definitely gonna wanna follow along. We got great memes. We're gonna have great articles that are posted as well. It's kind of a one-stop shop for all things college football. And even if you're not necessarily a fan of the SEC, I think that there is a lot of great stuff that you're gonna be interested in. Just because the season is ending doesn't mean that we here at SDS are all of a sudden going to stop cranking out content. That is what we do. So make sure that you go like our Facebook page, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Follow along for all the fun. All right, back to the podcast. Unfortunately, because Auburn lost the Outback Bowl, we do not get Bloomin' Onion. And that is just all sorts of upsetting. Have you ever done that, by the way? The, uh, the post-Outback Bowl free appetizer? No, Connor. I have, uh, I have not... It's. I just. What are they like? Eight bucks? Uh, I think. I think Blue Onion's a little bit more. I think it might be a little bit more. But I did it a few years ago with uh, with uh, with Dustin Shooty when he was living down in Orlando. Yeah. And we enjoyed. We enjoyed the crap out of a Blue Onion. It was the actually Blue after. Are good. It was after Florida beat beat the snot out of Iowa and Jim McElwain's like, yeah, how do you like me now? So um, I Outback is is like. I feel like they're a very trusting restaurant because they just hand you that weird loaf of bread with a knife and they're like, I go love at it. it. It's so good. And the butter is just like nice and soft. It's let's whipped. talk about something else that's good, and that is <laughs> new Gus, the Outback Bowl. Uh, the Outback Bowl was very entertaining from what I was able to follow. Now it, it was going on at the same time as the Citrus Bowl, so everybody's kind of keeping tabs on that as well. Um, so new Gus, obviously distracted by Tampa strip clubs and Hooters. Don't think we can necessarily blame you know blame him for that loss. In all seriousness, nobody was distracted in that game. Auburn's defensive line was there and playing. I don't necessarily count Nick Coe as a key player. Sorry, um, yeah. But Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson were still there. Minnesota won the battle in the trenches and they made the ridiculous plays. I was very very wrong about this game. I thought it was a great matchup for Auburn. Mm-hmm. I thought Auburn was going to win this game by three touchdowns. But the one thing I did say that was right, was that Minnesota was going to make a few plays. Their, their pass catchers in this oh, game are yeah. going to make a few plays that are just going to make you go, wow, these guys are special. That Tyler Johnson catch was something. Dude, the tight end. The tight end on, on fourth and one on the play-action pass. Huge, yeah. You know, so, and, uh, admittedly, I didn't get to see all of this game because it was on, because these people are idiots and don't want, like, don't like happiness, I it's guess. It's the hangover thing. It's, it's the hangover the, thing. Regardless, it's wrong, and I'm over it. And so, I, like, I was, I was literally, since I don't have the two TV set up, I was, like, squatted down in the the dining room where I could see the Bama game in the living room and then, like, would, like, peek around the corner of the office to see the Auburn game. It's not a pretty um, athletic view. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm very sore. But, um, 
No, like I so admittedly I lost a lot of money on this on for this Auburn game because I was I was dead set. I and I read a stat right beforehand. I didn't know that Minnesota six of their seven wins in the the Big Twelve came or Big Ten came against backup quarterbacks. Yeah, they, that was a storyline throughout the year. But yeah, yeah, I, I just I was surprised that they. I wasn't surprised like what you said about making the like making plays. Like those kids are NFL like future NFL stars. I don't know about stars, but they're going to play on Sundays. Matt Miller, our guy, NFL draft scout, actually got into a, a bit of a Twitter beef about Tyler Johnson because he's been saying for a while that Tyler Johnson's only going to be a sixth or seventh round guy. That's wrong. I I don't know about that. Also, I don't know if he was in on that touchdown. I didn't I didn't understand why everyone thought that was an obvious catch. So I saw a different angle, a, a camera shot, like of the side, and it looked like there was green grass in between him and the white line. It looked like he was in balance. Yeah. I don't know the replay nice crew was privy to that but if you would have like the, the the camera angle you saw it would have been awesome if they that everyone got to see that well it's just like um, a, a still photo that i saw of it. okay yeah not not, they did not do a good a job with yeah um i was surprised that auburn's running game struggled so much I, I did not see that coming and i know minnesota is is good up front and that's kind of what they've they've made their name on this year but Bo Nix still not getting those design runs surprised me. I thought in this game that they'd be willing to do that because it's last game of the year. You want to get that 10th win, and that's just still just not beat Bama. part of it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't really get that. But it kind of got me thinking, these great freshman quarterbacks that we've seen in college football the last few years, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, these guys who have been just so good and just burst on the scene, they've all had really, really good ground games to work with. Each one of those teams where if you look back, you're like, oh, okay, the running game was was just dominant those those specific years. And Bo Nix has had that at parts for the year. Don't get me wrong, Booby Whitlow is, is, a, is a really solid back, but he's been banged up also throughout the middle part of the season as well. And it's been a little bit up and down getting that going. And I, I question how much that has sort of held back Bo Nix and our, oh, our opinions man. of him because... He's, he's made a lot of mistakes, but sometimes, and Jake Fromm made mistakes as a true freshman for sure, but those mistakes can kind of be covered up when you have this running game that can sort of take over. And Auburn definitely did not have that. And it, it came down to, to Bo Nix trying to, to will them with his arm, which is a, probably a bad idea. There is, there is zero part of me that will would ever think to compare him to any of the great no, and I'm not. I'm not saying he, that he would be. Yeah, he, go ahead. he's not like like I, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, he could have used the run game to help him be slightly above average instead of just average as as a quarterback. Because like, listen, he's a freshman in the SEC. They had one of the toughest schedules in the entire country, if not the toughest schedule. I saw. I heard this today from Brandon Marcello. They played six games against teams that won eleven or more or more games this season. That's that's yep. ridiculous. Like that's that's a very tough schedule. What? People are going to want to hear this, but I'll just tell you exactly. This, I don't think it's a take. This is just fact. This is what happened. This is why people got overconfident with this. You beat Bama, right? You beat Bama and you put up 48 points. And and on the surface, that looks great. It's a great win and all that and blah, 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 blah. That really did a good job of masking the fact they only gained 354 yards against Alabama. Which, if if you ask anyone, it seems like they run up and down the field nonstop because they gave up 48 points, even though two of those were defensive touchdowns. Had a few really good drives in that game, but yeah, for the most part, yeah. it wasn't a you know a butter through you know knife through hot butter type. Scenario. Yeah, 354 yeah. is not not bad at all, and like like for uh, for a defense, especially with the injuries. So like Auburn, like listen, I I, I like Gus Malzahn. I, I like what he's been able to do this season, and there are times when Bo Nix will do something inexplicable in a good way. We're like, how did he just put like just in the Bama game? He he just put. Yeah. A couple of throws like right on the money. Did it against Oregon early on, early on in the year. But 
I think that people got way too overconfident. You know, like, what have you done for me lately in prison of the moment from that Iron Bowl? Minnesota's a, a very well-coached team. they got a lot of talent. Yep. They gained 232 yards of offense. Minnesota or Auburn did? Auburn. No, Minnesota yeah. gave uh I was going to say, 494. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 494. I so I think that watching this game for Auburn fans had to be frustrating watching the the never-ending struggle uh, with Gus's offense, the back and forth that seems to always come with it. Do you think Gus is going to be as mentioned on the hot seat going into next year as much as he was this year? I I don't think so. I, like, but I, uh, man, we talked about this this morning uh, with PB and, and Hester. Uh, like Gus just can't. He just can't be. He can't just like make yeah. things smooth and just have like everything kind of play like. He's exactly like Ricky Bobby's dad when they went to that Applebee's, and he's like, "You know what? <laughs> I think you put this on mistake." And he like flips out. He's like, "I don't know why." It just for whatever reason he can't just make things easy on himself. I don't think he'll have <clears throat> as much of a hot seat, but it's amazing to me how quickly the celebration of that Iron Bowl turned into people being upset again about the loss in a in a bowl game that really I don't think I mean it's that that bad of a loss. It's a good yeah, team. It's, it's a good Minnesota team. Definitely thought Auburn was going to win that game. Surprised that they didn't. I think maybe they would have had a little bit better of a chance, and Auburn fans, ear it right now because you're not going to like this. If George Pickens were on those Auburn sidelines, ah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's a weird hypothetical to bring up, but I, I will say that, like, Bo Nix, his inconsistency, that is what's driving the Gus bus right now. And it, yeah. like, they are going to go as he goes, and and I'm not saying this in in a, in a rude way, Auburn fans, but that D line ain't coming back next year. I know. So, I know it. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see the way that this identity of Auburn um, takes shape, I think, in 2020 and and what the narrative surrounding Gus Malzahn is going to be. It'd be weird if he wasn't on the hot seat, right? I feel like we just kind of... He, he's he's got to be grandfathered in. He's got to be he's, grandfathered into the hot seat list every single Yeah, year. He's 0-5. Yeah, it's like a corner booth. Yeah. Uh, he's 0-5 <laughs> in New Year's Day bowl games or, or, or bowl games played on New Year's Day or after at, while at Auburn. That's mm, not good. Not great. Not great. The Belk Bowl. Kentucky. God, this is the best. Virginia Tech. Half serious question. Can we adopt Lynn Bowden as a you, podcast? You, you, you've you sent a lot of texts that I know are jokes. That I didn't take that <laughs> one as a joke. I was like, I'll look into it. I mean, I, I'm not fit to be a parent right now, but I love Lynn Bowden. So, look, we understand. He, he punched a guy. Bad look. Bad look for our future adopted son, uh, we could teach him about nonviolence. We're not necessarily guys who are involved in that any anymore, at least on your end. I, I don't know. I can't First speak. Time, I mean, just I mean, it depends on how bad traffic is. <laughs> um, remember how we asked um, Lynn Bowden how he was going to score a walk-off touchdown, or how he wanted to score yeah. a walk-off touchdown in the Belk Bowl. A floater touch pass was not one of them, but that is ultimately what happened. And what a moment for Kentucky to be able to win that game in that fashion. The Bud Foster swan song was nowhere to be had. All oh. Lynn Bowden did was just dominate that defense. In the second half, some of the plays that he made in that game were, yeah, there are moments that are frustrating, and Kentucky fans got to be thinking, man, remember when we had a quarterback who could throw and how nice that was? Some of these third longs were just like, we don't even have a prayer on this one. But there are just some things that he do- that he does. Like, like when? The guy- yeah, like like when the long touchdown run that he had was was incredible. But you look at his numbers after, and you're like, oh my gosh, he had 34 carries. 
He, he set up he set up all time SEC bowl or I think it's all time quarterback, quarterback, quarterback rushing yeah. yards. I exactly. mean, like I I feel like it's the same thing we've said every single week where I've like kind of doubted them, and then I don't understand how they could just they they just run the football eighty two percent of their plays. They they tell you what they're gonna do, and I tell you, in most cases they do that when they line up on the field on Saturday. In this case, they got into a fight at a damn NASCAR Hall of Fame event for some reason, which was super weird and awkward. Fair. And then. Then, like, th- th- I think there were several comments made about, like, Bowden, when he met with uh, ESPN, like, media, like, he was predominantly talking about that and not, like, yeah. the game. Which, yeah. like, I, I, that probably wasn't a good look. They didn't they didn't seem like it was a very good look in their eyes. I, I think that's who he is, man. Like, that's who Kentucky kid. is. Yes, exactly. Like, like let's go out. Let's go outside. I- I'm going to roll up my sleeves, and I'm going to punch you in the jaw. And then, like, you're probably going to hit me. I... I they they do not back down from anyone, and it's it's incredible to think that he went six and two as a starter. Mark Stoops, the post game quote that that we saw that you know, and I'm not a big fan when players have like the Instagram live going in the post game, and it's like I think those moments should be reserved for the players. But you hear Mark Stoops say, "We don't take blank from anybody." Love it. And that that is Kentucky's brand of football, and what they have established with a win like that for Virginia Tech is calling them out before the game. They're saying they're soft, like. For them, that was such a dumb move, and our guy Tom Hart tweeted about this. Calling out Lynn Bowden before a game? Why in the world would you do that? Because that guy played with a chip on his shoulder, and he was going to have to be dragged off of that field. Yep. There was no way that he was going to go out of that game with a loss. There just wasn't. No, it, it really was. Like it was, it was awesome to watch. Like like the game take shape because you could just see like they were down early. It didn't look great. It did didn't. not look great. Defense and was struggling. Defense was struggling, and which was kind of a surprise, but. You know, like it just—it is a testament to this kid, one. And but like, how dumb? Like for real, how dumb do you have to be? To like, everyone was like kind of hating on. Like I know a lot of like ACC fans that made the comments that it was a classless. He punched somebody. Like what? I mean, whatever. Like just, I'm I'm not gonna defend it. It it was wrong. He punched somebody. Whatever. You tried to pick a fight with him three days before or two days before the actual game, and then kept going on with it, and then get your ass kicked. And like, or you didn't get your ass kicked, but you had your heart ripped out on national TV. It was awesome. It was and awesome. Then, and then when Bowden had his car jacked, where somebody stole all of his belt bowl stuff out of it. But, Is that real? Yeah, that's real. That was real. Why did he drive to the stadium? I don't know. I was kind of wondering that as well. I mean, he's got his son. Maybe, you know, he's they're going on a trip after. I, I don't know how these situations work. Uh, maybe he's road tripping back to Ohio for the holidays. I, I don't know how these things work. But he got all of his Belk Bowl clothes taken out of his car, and he tweeted about that. And then Belk Bowl was like, ah, we'll take care of it, MVP. We, we got you. We'll, we'll figure that's something awesome. out. Um, very, very. Yeah, I think cool this was uh, one of the highlights of the whole bowl season. I think for the SEC, it was it was a great moment, and that was one of those one of those games where everybody who sits there and they say, "Oh, we reward mediocrity," and I've been in this camp before. Don't get me wrong, I've been there, but when you're sitting there on your rear end watching this type of entertainment on a Tuesday afternoon, just yeah. say to yourself. This is great. This is America. Yeah. This is beautiful. And we get to watch such a great sports story unfold like this. I, you know what? I'm here for it. I'm here for all of it. Uh, yeah, and they try to overshadow it nonstop with the stupid Bud Foster thing. Like, we get it. After they showed Bud Foster so much in that it game. Was, dude, he is he is the Hunter Renfro and, and Rodrigo Blankenship, like, like like wrapped into one or rolled into one as a, as a coach. I, he, he's been there since what? Like, the 95? Eisenhower administration? There you go. I there see you go. there. That was a good callback. Uh, next year, we're going to get the quarterback battle, or I guess this offseason. Very interesting quarterback battle. Maybe, with the exception of Alabama, and I, I haven't I haven't done a real deep dive on this yet. The most interesting so. the most interesting quarterback battle in the SEC, 
neighbor Terry Wilson against Joey Gatewood. Oh, yeah, okay. I want to see how that plays out. I think we've been talking about Gatewood a lot. I'm excited to see how neighbor Terry Wilson bounces back. Thought he was going to be somebody who was going to have a really big year too. I'm interested yeah. just to see kind of how that dynamic plays out and, and what Kentucky is going to possibly, like what the narrative about Kentucky is going to be this year because Mark Stoops proved a lot of people wrong in my opinion yeah. this season. Okay, a game that was just far less pretty. Far, far less pretty. I'm... The single ugliest game for an SEC team in bowl season was Mississippi State Mobile, and for a couple reasons. So, I, Mississippi State looked good early and was up 14-0, and you're kind of wondering, like, all right, a little bit of an us-against-the-world type deal. They were without so many key guys. I mean, Cam Dantzler wasn't playing in this game. Garrett Schrader, we know, got into the post-practice altercation with Willie Gay. We know that Errol Thompson wasn't going to be playing in this game as well. Darrell Williams gets hurt in pregame warm-ups or whatever it was. Kylan Hill goes down on the first play of the game and was banged up for the rest of the game. And you're just like, wait, is Mississippi State going to win? And then the wheels came off, and they allowed 31 straight points. They it, None of that matters because you were going up against, like, unequivocally the worst rush defense you have faced all yep. season long. They had literally given up 512 yards rushing and 12.6 or 12.7 yards of carry to Kentucky. And and I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Lynn Bowden. That style of uh, of like rushing offense that Kentucky was running is not as complex as what you got, and like it, it should not be as effective as what you're running. And it, you know what? I'm gonna call it your boy because at uh, this he point, needs it. He needs it. It's, it's inexplicable that you like. How are you this bad with extra time to prepare? You're 0 and five when you have a bye week or a bowl week to prepare for this game, and and this time you're going up against inferior competition. It wasn't like last year where they had like. They got a, a few like close wins, and they went to like a better bowl. Like th- you were matched up against an inferior opponent, and they were also a dropped pass in the end zone away from pro- from probably winning that game last year against Iowa, where I realized that that didn't happen. And Mississippi State lost a game that it should have won. But you know this this was it was not it was not a good look for a coaching staff that's going to have to face questions about their future the entire offseason. And to I- me, that was the frustrating thing. Good teams don't allow thirty one straight points. We talk about this a lot about having somebody who can stop the bleeding to make the adjustments to say, we are going to absolutely get points on this possession, or we are going to make sure that no matter what, our defense forces a three and out here. And I realize that's easier said than done. I get all of that. But you know what? This was a Louisville team that coming into this year was coming off of a two-win season with a first-year coach, and they lost 22 scholarship players from last year's team were gone, which is a stat that I didn't even realize until I heard Scott Satterfield talking on the post-game interview. I'm like, this guy is awesome. This guy gets it. He is a guy that that kids are going to absolutely want to play for, and that is going to be a program that that is on the rise in a very, very manageable ACC. I I would not be sleeping on Louisville despite the fact that Kentucky ran over them all day. But here's the thing that's frustrating. I think that you look at an offensive mind like that, like Scott Satterfield and what he's been able to do. And Joe Moorhead, he's been saying throughout this entire season, look, we need to be able to get the right pieces in place. We feel like we ha- you know, we've, dealt with, we've dealt with this, we've dealt with that, you know, injuries and suspensions, whatever it is. I get all of that. At some point, you just have to be able to motivate kids. And that did not look like a, a group that was fired up to play after the initial set of, of plays. You know how coaches come up with, you know, they'll call the first 20 plays of the game or whatever it is. It was like after that, they had nothing. And that's the troubling thing, whereas Louisville just kept making these adjustments, and Mississippi State was just was caught. I mean, they just had no response whatsoever. I I think this is Mississippi State, like, and Jim Moorhead, like, I, 
everything Satterfield was and what he was like, on display as on the sidelines, that's what we thought Jim Moorhead was going to be. Like Kinda, this fun, yeah. like players coach, like he's doing like the the alley oop thing and all that kind of stuff. And and now it's like, like, like just call it what it is. You you looked inept on offense, and like this is there could have been a better matchup for him. Yep. He's an offensive coach. You your best your best part of your entire team is running the football. Just run, like, and this is a a porous defense. You go up fourteen points and you make it even worse on yourself, and then you realize like okay. Like, really taking a step back, you go up 14 points, and then the next four drives that you end up going or falling behind on, three of them were for zero yards. Yeah. Three of them. And then take a step back, and you realize, my God, like, they, they lost to Tennessee with a week off, uh, which they, they probably shouldn't have lost that game. Mm-hmm. The only reason they won the Egg Bowl is because Elijah Moore decided to pee like a dog in the end zone for fun. Like, this is not a good team, and, and the fact that your quarterback got into a fight with with one of your defensive starters, I know that like that probably won't that dynamic won't you know be a, a, as a distraction, I guess, next season. But things are not going well in Starkville. No, I wrote, and that that's a good point too. Like, if you have a team that is buying into your vision in bowl season, you don't have a story like that come out, and that never sees the light of day. That is more the product of a team that is coming apart at the seams. Yes. And I'm not trying to blow this out of proportion or saying that Joe Moorhead has absolutely lost the, the, the faith of that team necessarily. I know players like him a lot. And he is liked internally a lot more than he is externally right now. I, I totally get all of that. But this was just the exact opposite performance of what he needed going yep. into this this very pivotal season, obviously, for his future. I know I'm a Moorhead guy, and he, he is somebody who's been very, very good to us, and I've gone to bat for him before, but I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to hide from it. Yep. This was bad. This was really, really bad. A team that played better than I thought it would. I'm going to give A&M some credit here. Aggies win the Texas Bowl, a game that was played a while. It feels like a long time ago after all the football yeah. that we've watched the last week or so. All these parents are still in town, so it was like three <laughs> weeks ago. A lifetime ago. Um, A&M did what I thought that they couldn't do, which was rally back against a decent team. Fall behind early against Oklahoma State, and Kellen Mond's legs were the difference in that game. You got a little reminder with that long touchdown run. They ran the football pretty, pretty well, and they pretty much decided, you know what? Doesn't really matter. We're not gonna. We don't care about balance at this point. Jimbo Fisher's system is predicated on balance, and they just said, you know what? We're gonna do whatever it takes to win. We think Oklahoma State can't stop our ground game. It worked. Yeah, I, this was so like like as a fan before I got this job, like I was never big in for pulling for the SEC because it doesn't help my team. So why would I, you know, want all these successes for like the other teams? Now, you know, with this job, I've like really like grown to like love the conference and like you know all these different fans. I was so nervous for this game because like. This is the first SEC bowl game, for one. Yep. And you're going up against a Big 12 team. A&M has been that, the, the, all we've talked about all season is like, well, they bear, they lost to these great teams. They don't have a win on their resume that's like impressive at all. I, they go down 14 nothing. This was awesome to see. This was awesome to, to watch this team kind of come back. Mon looked like crap through the air. That was pretty, yeah, it pretty was tough. Uh, Chuba Hubbard is as advertised. That kid yep. is a stud, man. I didn't realize he was that fast either. Um, so that was the fun to watch. Place, yeah. But it was, it was cool to see... Like the one part of that offense that we didn't think was going to really uh, be—I don't say be allowed to be a factor, but like wouldn't be a factor—that was that was the the difference maker. And I, I think I said it as soon as the game ended. I can't wait to see what this team looks like next year because they were so young and they they returned so much talent. 
it's going to be interesting. They don't return Courtney Davis. We find out uh, the go-to receiver for Cowan Mon. He is off to the NFL. Don't blame him. He certainly has uh, the frame to be able to succeed, I think, at the next level. He'll be an interesting kind of like maybe a day two guy potentially. Uh, but one of Kellen Mon's favorite targets is off to the NFL. But it's going to be a very popular topic of conversation this offseason. And maybe more so because we've been waiting for Jimbo to feel like he really has the horses to compete. And now that he has a couple of these recruiting classes under his belt, and he's got a lot of returning experience, we feel like now is going to be the time. And I have a couple of points that I want to hit on here. And it, it, it hits on both sides. One is the negative. And I didn't realize this. We've talked about it, but I didn't go and dig into it until um, I wanted to bring it up here. Yeah. Um, A&M, in those five losses that they had this year, where we talk about, you know, they played really good teams. I mean, five teams, I think, that are currently in the top, what, 13 or 14, whatever Auburn, top Auburn's three. the lowest. <laughs> Auburn, Auburn is the, the lowest ranked of, of, the, of the five losses that they had. They played 300 minutes of football against those teams, right? They led, A&M led for seven minutes and 42 seconds of against those Bama. 300 minutes, a lot of which was against Bama. I'm not saying that that's necessarily indicative of how exactly they're going to perform in that's 2020, bad. but that's a tough stat for me to wrap my head around and say automatically this team is, is going to be on that next level with these elite teams. Now, having said that, Went, went ahead and looked at their schedule for 2020. Let me okay. read this to you if you don't have this in front of you. I mean, it's in the doc, but those of you listening who don't know it off the top of your head. We talked about how difficult their schedule was this year. Well, Unreal. in 2020, this is their first 10 games of the 2020 season. Home against Abilene Christian. Home against North Texas. Home against Colorado, the fight in Mel Tuckers. Home against Arkansas. At Mississippi State. Home against Fresno State. Oh, my God. At Auburn. At South Carolina. Home against Ole Miss. Home against Vandy. Those first 10 games are before they go to Alabama and then they host LSU to end the season. Holy cow, the That's A&M hype train is going to get man. rolling. Well, I, yeah. I, was, I was surprised. Like, I, I, I haven't been, like, I've heard that kind of narrative like about Georgia and maybe some other teams like you know, before the season's like, every year's their year. Because I, I flat out said afterwards, I go, like, they are going to be a top 10 team next year. Yep. They, they definitely are. And I, and I fully believe that because of everything I said, and now way more because of what you said. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Um, but like people were like pretty upset about this. Like they say that every year. Like I don't, I don't feel like I don't know if that that is true. I, I haven't heard that of A and M every year. I know like when Manziel was there and some of the stuff with someone like, you know, they they would start out early and then fall apart in November. This, this is this schedule is something else. How do they it have is, that many home games? <laughs> it's amazing. It sort of balances out for all what they went through uh, over this past year. I mean, you get. The, the crossover games, to me, are, are kind of what separates it. I mean, to get South Carolina, a trip to South Carolina, and then to host Vandy for your crossover games, a little bit different than what they had to go through this past Man, year, for that sure. Is, uh... I mean, that's, that, that's not bad at all. Um, so A&M is going to be uh, an interesting team to discuss and break down, I think, throughout this offseason. One, of one of the more interesting teams in all of college football, probably, as we head into year three with Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, all right, great. real quick. We're going to take a break, but then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about our friends at Texas Pete. Something that I probably don't say enough is you should definitely be subscribed to the Saturday Down South podcast. If you are not already, you should definitely go do so. I don't know how you, you get all your podcasts. If you just go to SoundCloud or, or, or whatever, you know, if you're on Apple, whatever it is, but if you have not subscribed yet, 
it's a lot easier if you subscribe. There is nothing better than waking up in the morning and looking at your phone and being like, oh, hey, new podcast downloaded. All I gotta do is turn it on when I'm driving to work or whatever I'm doing throughout the day. So hit that subscribe button and I promise you will not regret it. We're gonna have so, so many more podcasts. Just because the season is ending doesn't mean that we are going to stop recording these great podcasts. We've got It Just Meant More coming up as well. We're gonna get back to that. We have so much stuff that we're gonna be doing throughout this off season. So just go ahead, subscribe. Marler, I didn't have any Texas Pete on Wednesday. It was a weird day for me. There was no Texas Pete in the press box. Um, it was, uh, I, I felt, I felt strange. I felt really just kind of out of my rhythm. I mean, I ate well in the press box, MT. but yeah, I mean, Atlanta has Texas Pete, Orlando doesn't. Priorities. I mean, yeah, I think we all know that which is the better city. I will well, say, um, I did have Texas Pete. New Year, same Chris, uh, I did start my year off with. It was, a, it was a, a pretty lovely little Wednesday. Bama won, Auburn lost, and there was Texas Pete everywhere in the house because the diet for the wedding officially started, um... Which, you know, I'm, I'm not thrilled uh, about committing to, you know, not, like, whatever portion control is. I, I didn't think that was a real thing because I haven't practiced it ever before. Regardless, I do have one partner in crime with me to help me along this journey, and it's not Allie. It is Texas Pete. It is, and honestly, if I could marry Texas Pete, I probably would. You guys know that. Hmm. Um, I love it. We put it on everything. We have only a few more games in the, in the rest of the college football season. So that means we only have a few more tailgates. So make sure you get out, get some Texas Pete hot sauce, Texas Pete wing sauce, Texas Pete dust, uh, and and in this in this season the right way, okay? Um, yeah, get some blood. I mean, I'm sure LSU fans haven't stopped drinking since the Peach Bowl because you don't want to lose that like, that buzz. I mean, so um, yeah, put it in your Bloody Marys, all the above. Make sure you send us some pictures with the hashtag Sauce Like You Mean It, uh, and go out and get some Texas Pete today. The only way I drink a Bloody Mary is if somebody just doused it in mostly Texas Pete. Yeah, just put vodka in a Texas Pete bottle. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I would do it now, but like as we reflect on the past decade, I'm pretty sure that 2010 or 2013 Chris would have done that. The best Bloody Mary would just be a glass full of Texas Pete, and then you know how they always put just a mountain of food on top of a Bloody oh, yeah. Mary to distract you from the fact that you're drinking a Bloody Mary because Bloody Marys are gross. Like a drumstick? At the end yeah, of- yeah. They, they would just have that, and it would just be that glass of Texas Pete. So yeah. I don't, I I don't need alcohol. I told you before, like, like the, the job I had in Columbia, South Carolina, it was like my favorite and only part I liked about working on Sundays was the Bloody Mary bar because I would just steal all the, the shrimp and the bacon and the, and the olives. It was, mm-hmm. it was fantastic. Anyway... Uh, moving on from my pleasant, pleasant memories, we're going to get to the fourth and wrong. It is our, we did it every single week. Uh, you guys came through the clutch because we posted these late last night on New Year's Day. Um, fourth and wrong, we have five questions this week, uh, non-football related. Let's start with Michael Simmons, who said, what natural disaster do you fear the most and why? And which one concerns you the least and why? It's a great question. I've thought about this a lot. I, I think as somebody who lives in, in, in Florida, the, the obvious answer is to say I fear hurricanes the most because that is what I deal with the most. I'm not as concerned because we're pretty far inland. If I lived on the coast, yes, absolutely, no doubt about it. Tornadoes have always freaked me out. And I yeah. don't know if it was just seeing Twister or whatever it is. I've had nightmares where I have, I have, I have thought about being in a house that is about to just be destroyed by a tornado because there's just nothing you can really do. Um, I know you can kind of see it coming a little bit, but they can sort of just happen kind of out of nowhere. And yeah, living in two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they they happen all over the country too. Living living in Nebraska for two and a half years, I kind of was worried about that for a while. I'd have people that would always ask me, "Oh, like you, you get hit by a tornado yet?" And 
people think what, that I live what? in Kansas. Yeah, people ask that a lot. There's there's big time tornadoes out there in Nebraska. Oh, the Midwest sounds fun for conversation. I mean, oh, there are other positive things about the Midwest as sure. well. But uh, tornadoes, yeah, always always freak me out. Twister is a big part of that. Yeah, um, Twister's a great movie. Very good. You saw it five times in theaters because I was a loser. But um, yeah, so tornadoes, that would be my answer. Just because I think growing up in the South, like you're you're like more susceptible to being around them. Like I mean, like Florida, I, I could totally understand the, the hurricane thing. I I just like what scares me about him is like so one of our listeners, Michael Luker, is a really good kid. He actually interned for SDS this uh, yep. this fall. He like he his town got hit with a tornado like two weeks ago. Holy cow! And usually there's like tornado season, which is like you know that that is like the Kentucky Derby for Oklahoma, but it is. Like, they have it in December. That, like, that terrifies me. Like, weather and stuff. We're not going to get into a whole, like, climate change or anything, all that craziness. But, yeah, that that, that freaks me out. I'd say what doesn't really scare me, um, I, earthquakes, I don't, I mean. Uh, earthquake, I, I've never experienced one. I've never experienced yeah. one. Hope to never experience any. I think we're going to be spending a few days out in California in a few months here. So, definitely don't want to have my first time experience then. But, the unpredictability of them is the one thing. But they're predictable. I mean, like, they're they're so common. Everyone's like, oh, it's an earthquake. Yeah, I would always think the severe ones, though, where you, there's, like, as it's going on, people always talk about how they only last 20 seconds, but it feels like it's an hour or whatever it is. Yeah. And that, to me, would just be a little bit frightening just because the fear of the unknown and not really knowing what you're supposed to do. And there are some that are really, really bad. So I, yeah. I don't know. That, that to well, me, always kind of freaked me out. If I was if I was in Atlanta and all of a sudden everything started shaking and like the effing earth opened up beneath me, like yeah, I would be terrified. But if I was like living in California, like I would, I feel like I would probably be used to it, or I'd be like, I did this myself. Yeah, the minor ones, the minor yeah. ones for sure. Um, all right, second question. This is from John Connor Osutki. Osutki, and he spells Connor correctly. C- two N's and an O. That's the way to do it. Love it. Uh, what is the worst road trip you've ever been on? And I just realized my, my name is Connor John, so that's kind of funny how that worked out. Um, the worst road trip that I've ever been on. I love this job, don't get me wrong, and I, I love living where I do, but it was clearly driving a U-Haul and and, and towing my, my truck, my yep. 98 Toyota Corolla from Nebraska to Orlando. A three-day trip that took me upwards of like 28 hours by myself the entire time, basically taking everything Ugh. that we owned. It was not fun. Driving down the the hills in Tennessee and going through Nashville in the middle oh, of the that? day. Oh, my gosh. I was terrified. I, I would see people like U-Hauls on the side of the road, and they had some sort of issue or you know the toe fell off, whatever it was. And I would think, oh, that's going to be me in about five minutes. Yeah, it, it's going to happen. That constant fear, it, it, it was... To be able to end that road trip was one of the more satisfying feelings of my life because that was it's so much different than if you're just taking a cross-country trip in, in a convertible or something like that. But when yeah. you have all of that stuff that you own just in this thing that you're driving and your car, it's terrifying. I tried just to not think about it the entire time and not look in my rear view, in my rear view mirror the entire time. But naturally, that's where my head went to. I mean, yeah, I, I'm still paying off a U-Haul that I guess I own because I bought it in 2013. Um, that is the worst. So, the worst road trip I've ever been on, this is easy. Uh, my 30th birthday, I sent out a text. Like, I was, like, kind of going through a breakup, and I was, like, just, I want to do something. It was, like, my 30th, and, and like, do something. So, I want to go to New Orleans. I hadn't been yet. And I sent out a text to, like, our, our group thread of, like, all my, my buddies. You know, and you, like, send a text to, like, a, a group thread, like, 
not everyone responds right away because people mm-hmm. are like, working, have lives like this. Within five minutes, every single person responded like, no, I'm out, I can't do it, got this, got that. I was like, okay. So then I was, back at this time, I was uh, hanging out at the local watering hole, the local bar at the end of my street, Diesel, and two of my friends that are less responsible, they convinced me, they'd take me to New Orleans, but they took me to Biloxi for my 30th birthday. Mm. And it was the worst trip I have. How far was that? It's an hour from New Orleans, Connor, and I'm glad you asked because we we decided to go, and I was like, I'll make the most of it. And every every person we asked was like, what should we do? They're like, oh, you should go to New Orleans. I'm like, okay, what should we do in Biloxi? They're like, you should go to New Orleans. I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, we got like a cabana, and and like they were they were kind of I hate to say this, so hopefully they're not listening, but like they like I just kind of thought they would like you know pay pay for it because it was pretty cheap it was like 85 dollars for a cabana i was like why don't we just all get our own cabanas because we're at this like crappy hard rock cafe casino or whatever it was and it was it, ugh, just everything about it that trip was awful it was i Biloxi's not my favorite how far in advance did you try and plan this trip oh this was like they said they were planning it they said they were planning it for my no, birthday no, 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 no. when you sent the mass text oh to like two or three months Okay, that's not terrible. Yeah. I would expect that, knowing you, I thought it was going to be like two or three weeks. Honestly, Connor, I said two or three months with not a lot of confidence behind it. It might have been two or three weeks. <laughs> uh, and, and this is like when I was like still bartending and they all had like like real jobs. So it was understandable they didn't go. It was my fault for putting myself in the situation. But also, going down there, I think you had to take 85 or something like that. I, I drove down 75, the wrong highway that goes to a different part of the state of Georgia for an hour and 45 minutes. So, yeah. And also my friends got there after me, so I had to put everything on my credit card, and they, like, it was not good. I hated everything. Move it on. So my 30th birthday will hopefully be better. Um, that's Go to Biloxi. Few, a few short months. I am not going to Biloxi. I can get a cabana. Um, if you, okay, third question from Jay Woody. If you had to have a sideline reporter join the podcast team on a permanent basis, who would you pick to join the team? It's a tough question because... It's not just a matter of who's the best sideline reporter. I mean, there, there are some. Erin Andrews is, is really, really good at her job. Michelle Tafoya is awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be people that, that would gel with us, people who kind of get our vibe. The key to a good podcast, of course, is chemistry. There are two people that stand out Alyssa Lang, who does great work oh, yeah. for SEC Network, um, and Cole Kublik, who obviously we've had on this podcast before. He gets along really well with two other guys, whatever. Yeah. Um, a certain Tom Hart and Jordan Rogers, no big deal. But I think those two would fit in pretty well. Um, Cole just intimidates me so much, not just because of his size, but the size of his brain, because he's so smart and knows everything about football. Big brain. Um, so I love Allie LaForce. She was one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, um, that'd be good. She, she was like, became like a, like a, a little bit of a friend because she would come into Atlanta all the time. She's like the nicest person, nicest family. I, But she's not really doing football stuff anymore. She's no, doing she's like doing all, all NBA. Yeah. Um, so I would say... Like, like Maria Taylor seemed like she'd be like like a lot of fun, but but L Duncan, she's not really a silent reporter. She's not like silent, just, yeah. Does that even count? So that probably wouldn't count. But L Duncan right, does seem I'll like she'd be I'll take Laura fun. Rutledge then, because Laura Rutledge okay. is, she's she seems like like her or Maria Taylor would be great. I, just, I think they like, they both seem like a lot of fun. They they seem kind of down to earth too. I've never met Alyssa Lang, but she seems. Laura nice. Rutledge is very very nice, very yeah. very nice. I've never heard a bad thing about Laura Rutledge. We should start saying bad stuff about her then. That's let's not. No, nope, probably not. <laughs> um, okay. Fourth question from Justin Lindsay. Since the women make most, if not all, the decisions about it, what's the one request for your wedding or your your wedding you already had, Connor? Example, a Texas peat fountain, a ranch fountain, 
etc. I like that he kept going with fountains. Yeah, a lot of fountains. Uh, a ranch fountain just seems so Midwestern yeah. and so seven, gross. Seven cheese. Seven uh, cheese fountain. Was it Gouda? I mean, the Gouda would be great. A ranch yeah. cheese uh, or a ranch fountain would just be unnecessary. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not about that. No. Um, so I'll agree to disagree that, that women make most of the decisions. I think, okay, I, they don't make all the decisions. They, Lauren made it much of this? because I'm, I'm trying to come up with the, the right way I want to say this. Lauren made a decent amount of the decisions, but I was, I was put in charge of a decent amount of stuff for our wedding. Like I, I took care of a lot of the food stuff. I took care of, I took care of the DJ. I took care of the rehearsal dinner. Like there are a lot of things that, you know, you're, you're asked for input on and you sort of just default. And as you learn, and as Tim Tebow told us, the yeah. worst thing that you could possibly say is, Oh, I don't care. Whatever you like is fine. That's not what they want to hear at all. Of course. I think that the food at our wedding, we still get talked about to this day. Like my friends will still like out of the blue text me about, hey, just thinking about your food at your wedding because we had barbecue. We had barbecue and I don't know what it was about that day, but the brisket just hit right. The pulled pork was so on point. We had mac and cheese. I mean, we did it right and it was so, so good. The mashed potatoes, my dad was like, I want a trash bag of these mashed potatoes. I don't know what it was, but the food was so good that day. And I took so much pride in that. And because Lauren and I were like, we are going to get this right. And I I, I really wanted that because how many times do you go to a wedding and you're just like, the food is just kind of a forgotten meal or it's like chicken and veggies and it's like $25 a plate. No, give me barbecue all day. And one time I went to a wedding that had, it had the coal-fired pizza. That, that was delicious because you could just go back up and get slices all you want. It's a cheaper way to go because they just hired a a place that that brought it. It was not at David Buster's. It was an outdoor wedding in Florida, but it was it was a lot of fun. So the food, I think, is the thing that you got to take the most pride in. So most of the calories that I consume at weddings are liquid based. Um, th- like for this one, I, this I'm honestly, I'm not. I'll say I've said it to her several times since it happened. But when we had our parents in town, my stepdad came up with the best idea, and because we're trying to figure out where to go for the rehearsal dinner because all of our family's from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So they, we want our, our wedding's in Alpharetta, which is like 20 minutes outside or 30 minutes outside of the city. So we want everyone to be able to see the actual city for the rehearsal dinner. And my stepdad was like, why don't we just rent out a Waffle House? Like just wow. rent out a Waffle House for, for a day. And I was like, yes. She said no. So I was, <laughs> I was pretty mad about that. Um, for the wedding, like honestly, the, the biggest thing that, the only thing I wanted to, to have in mind, I wanted a groom's cake. Um, and I wanted to do the, the wedding hashtag and that was, that was pretty much it. Cause I, I knew that she's a smarter person than I am and she is like so much more detail oriented and, and, and understands all the stuff that we're, you know, like, like the food stuff we've, we've, uh, not seen eye to eye on because, cause it's just too, like the two families are so different. And That's just, why barbecue is great. Cause everybody likes barbecue. You'd be surprised, Connor. You'd be surprised. Um, but, uh, it's, I, I don't know. Like I, I know it's gonna be a lot of fun either way. Um, I, I, I made, like, as soon as we got engaged, like, the hashtag was already set. It was roll, bride, roll. Um, you've been saying that to me since, like, the first week I met you. Like, oh, I got a great wedding hashtag. Like that. No, you've been I, saying this sure. for a while. You hit hit by a tornado yet? <laughs> um, before before you got engaged, you were saying I got the best wedding hashtag. I, I love Allie. She's my favorite person and all that. But, yeah, that, let's not kid ourselves. That would have been the wedding <laughs> hashtag no matter who I married. Um, all right, moving on before I get in trouble. Let's see if... This is from Joseph McGee. If Chris and Connor were to form a tag team, what would your tag team name be? Loud and Cloud. Oh, my God. Yep. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, 
I don't even know. I, I can't. I don't even know how to respond to that. That's a uh, loud and cloud, man. That's good. You know what? We're gonna I'm dominate. Gonna, I'm gonna steal that. Yeah, loud and cloud. That's good. Yeah. That's Any, yeah. You anybody know. anybody ask that in the future? Oh, you guys have like any any special nickname they go by? Loud and cloud, man. We would loud have the cloud. worst worst outfits. It's like <laughs> it would just be like like down comfort pillows and stuff like that. It'd be terrible. <laughs> anyway, that's fourth and wrong for this week. <laughs> We've got it. Might mean too much. Um, I've been a little hard on LSU fans lately, and I, and I you know LSU fans. I, I love you guys. Nick Halby, uh, Sean Larkin, uh, Mickey Sheremy. We we love all of you. We do. We do. And we're not saying that this is you, but. According to the Greenville News, family members of Clemson running back Travis Etienne have reportedly been receiving threats. Now, why has Etienne been receiving threats? In case you have not heard or you forgot, Etienne is from Louisiana. Um, He didn't want to go to LSU. He's a Louisiana native who didn't want to go to LSU. That's not the most popular thing in the world, especially when they're going to be playing in the national championship. His mom, Etienne's mom, said one person told, uh, told her, you have 24 hours to get out of Louisiana. Uh, not the best look. Wow. Not the best look. Not necessarily surprised because every fan base has 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 crazies. Not saying this yeah. is just specific to LSU, but might might want to leave the star running back of the opposing team and his family alone. Just yeah, not just the best steal idea. his phone number and call him nonstop like you used yeah, to. Do the let's, you thing. know what we haven't done in a while is let's read a five star review before we close this out. Let's do that. Do you have five star reviews pulled up right now? I do. This is you from do. LSU Freak. Uh, Fitting. Because this was, you know, this and I, this one meant a lot because it was on the heels of an Ohio State fan that left a less than stellar review. Um, they would, but this is it says the only college football podcast. Uh, it says as a diehard LSU fan, this year has been a year for the ages. Believe it or not, Connor and Chris have made this year better because you get the unbiased opinion of an ex Big Ten fan. Sorry, Connor, you're SEC now, <laughs> and the respectful opinion of uh, Chris, who is indeed an Alabama fan. I know what you're thinking. This has got to be a Bama Homer podcast. Wrong. This is the only podcast that has been advocating LSU and Joe Burrow the entire year. There actually hasn't been a bigger LSU supporter in the media than Chris Marler. You don't read that again. Mm. Uh, The guy really understands college football, and people need to respect his love for his team. We all would love to be in Chris's shoes. We all grew up loving a specific team. You can't fault the guy for supporting a team. I didn't realize this was going to be all about me. Um, You can't fault the guy for supporting a team. I'm so glad that this podcast has come, has some college football fan passion. I get so bored on the other podcasts when they try to make it and treat it like a business, NFL type. They also have an incredible private Facebook group with tons of memes, articles, and friendly trash talk. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks, man. Mm, Thank you. That was was really nice. I'm going to read one. This is from Irish Nightmare. Subject, great fun. That's what I have you saved in my phone as. Irish Nightmare. That's actually a pretty good wrestling name while we're on the subject of that. That's pretty good. Uh, Despite someone's recent two-star review, that person will will, will remain nameless. This podcast is a blast to listen to. The guys are hilarious and play well off of each other. The Bama comes out a little strong in Connor sometimes. No, that's definitely supposed to be Marler. But hey, I get it. I've I've been there myself. Haven't missed a show since last season, and the community on Facebook created by this is second to none. Love the show. Love my Texas Pete, and go dogs. Okay, we got to do one thing. I, I'm going to do it, and you're not going to like it, but we're going to go off script here. And I'm, I'm going to read one that's not a five-star review because it's oh, just no. too good not to read. That is a two-star review that this guy was referencing, and it's from Coupla Menches. And the, to- the topic says, or the subject says, fun guys, nothing really interesting. This is a review about our college football podcast. I like the hosts. Seem like good guys. Good to listen to if you just want to hear college football talk. Just nothing really interesting or unique. 
I mean, man, you could, all right. You could say a lot about us. You could say you a lot about us. numbers, sir. Uh, to say you what you need, yeah. Oh well, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, though. That's uh, that's fine. Keep continue if you have not given us a five star review yet please please do so we appreciate everybody who has done that everybody who has subscribed to the podcast everybody who has followed along on facebook the saturday down south facebook group is blowing up Four thousand people we're over four thousand now Holy and by the cow. way I, I should have said this earlier because like the moderators want me to say this if you've requested like to to join the group there's three questions and all you have to do is literally just type yes three times just to know That's that you're not a bot. And we simple. have 142 people waiting to get approval because they didn't answer the questions. That's like sitting outside of a bar and being like, the you know, the bouncer's like, well, covers $10. And they're like, I don't have any money. What do you mean? What? Yeah, what? I've done that. Yeah. Um, if, if you have not yet, like I said, make sure you're following us on all forms of our, of our social media. Um, at the SDS pod. Marler's handle is going to be changing soon, probably. No, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep Vern Funquist. Okay, Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara. Follow us on Instagram. Are we at the, the desired number that you were hoping to reach on Instagram? We're not quite no. there. So all the more reason, if you have not yet, make sure that you go follow us on Instagram as well. The plan, like I said, is going to be to record after Tua's announcement on Monday. We're going to do some do some different all-decade stuff. We haven't really had a chance. We've had so much different all-decade content up on SDS, but we haven't really had the chance to kind of look back and talk through some of this stuff. So we're going to dig into that a little bit, and we're going to talk probably end up talking about some national championship stuff, but there's also some other big NFL draft news. I'm sure we'll hit on that. So going to be really really good facebook live are we planning on doing that anytime in the next week yeah we did it last night boom wow there you go okay marler firing all cylinders matt luke coach joe chris marler whoever you are um first podcast of 2020 of the decade what is, you know i love I, I tell you what man I, I, like i love barbara walters even matt luke who doesn't who who doesn't love baba wawa uh it might mean too much y'all talk to you guys later